Are you guys like half in the bag? It's late where you are now, right? Like nine. It's what nine thirty there. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, and I had a fucking long ass week, so I'm I'm wiped. Grab a coffee, get some like chocolate covered coffee beans. If a I had a coffee slow-ish. right now, I'd, I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep for a week. I'm pretty sure. So. <laughs> uh, he says as he opens a fresh coke, so I guess maybe I should <laughs> yeah, check my, check myself before I wreck myself. Basically, so. yeah. I'm just kind of organizing the news that I have roughly here. No worries. It's just the audio is just running. So whatever you say is I can use against you now is basically where we're at. Sweet. He's read us our Miranda rights. We're good to go. Hey, man. A lot better than what Batman did to poor Rorschach in this story. Fucking where's due process in Gotham? (laughs) We're going to talk about that. Does due due process exist in Gotham? I don't think it's ever really existed in Gotham. Well, (laughs) very much like, I ain't got time for this. Bye. Yeah. It's been a a long time uh, since there's been due process in Gotham City, I think. Uh, Yeah, no shit. The man has a paramilitary group basically vigilante protecting that entire city so well i don't know how many people are getting the miranda rights read by huntress and red hood you know what i mean usually they at least involve the police like they'll drop them off they'll drop the you know That's bad true. guys off at like the police department or something it was just in this particular case where Batman was like <laughs> no nah, you go straight to arkham right. you yeah. crazy yeah i read like, your diary and so you <laughs> even tell, and like did he even tell anybody that he was in there he just threw him in there yes, like, yes, fake, fake psychiatric evaluated him in the whole bit i was like holy <laughs> shit this batman's like ultra dick like 2000s uh, Grant Morrison like that comes around yeah I have so many problems with this Batman but that was yeah oh boy he was like he was super Bat God like angry Batman too I was like all right I I mean yikes the big yikes yeah anyhow (laughs) well we will get to that but before that welcome back listeners to Dance Robot Dance this is our 182nd episode do I have Mm -hmm. that right yeah. Yes. I am Tim. I'm coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia for another couple months at least. I'm going to be hosting this week as we delve right up my alley into some DC Comics nerdery. And uh, with me, I've got Mark from Ontario. Yeah, I'm just in Ontario right now. We'll just, just generally. <laughs> generally, just in the middle of Ontario. Yeah. Somewhere in Ontario. It's a big province, guys. It's yeah. a big province. <laughs> but I'm in there and- somewhere. And we have Paul, who is for a little while longer from Seoul, South Korea. Yeah, one more month until I'm back in Canada, so that's pretty cool. I'm starting to see like your 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 place is starting to look a little more like bare. I think like your I can see that you've been packing. Yeah, things are in motion for packing and all like I've got all my Pokemon plushies vacuum sealed in a box ready to go. (laughs) Should I be expecting a shipment at some point in the near future? I might arrive before the package does because I'm shipping it surface, so it's. Yeah, mm-hmm. that can take a, a long while. Fair. As I learned from packages being sent from Canada to here, like eventually, like a month after Christmas, it'll be like, oh, look, a whole package of coffee crisp that is still edible. <laughs> thank goodness. But that nice. that hasn't happened for like four years. So, you know, it takes coffee crisp a long time to go bad. It sure yeah. does. Thank goodness. I've lost them in my car at like a million times. You yeah. Know what I mean? <laughs> you find that melted one at the bottom of your glove box and stuff like that. You're like, hey, man. Yeah. I don't know why I threw that in there, but I'm glad <laughs> I did. You guys live in places where stuff doesn't necessarily melt like immediately eight months out of the year. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Most stuff kind of freezes immediately outside yeah. eight months out of the year here. Yeah. So that preserves but, like. 
a frozen chocolate bar is not exactly like a bad thing. I don't think. Yeah, I like right. cold chocolate bars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cold chocolate's excellent. So, uh, yeah. yeah. In candy bar news, crunchy bars have arrived in Korea for the first time Ooh. ever. Just in time for you to leave. Yeah. Paul. Well, cr- crunchy <laughs> is way down on my list. Like, I'm not a fan mm. of the crunchy toffee. Like, I like a I like a soft toffee, but the crunchy toffee yeah. is not really my bag. That's the spongy one, right? Like the crunchy yeah, sponge. Yeah. Crunchy sponge. Yeah, that's that's yeah. sponge toffee. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorites, actually. Except yeah, for the I love fact that, that it shit just, gets caught in your teeth. Just like, ruins your, your fucking, fucking teeth. Yeah, yeah it just ruins <laughs> no. your teeth. No, I, 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 I'm all coffee crisp all the time. Give me a caramel. Give yeah. me a coffee yeah. crisp. Maybe like yep. a, a Jersey milk sometimes. You know, if, if I want to keep it simple. <laughs> you, Whatever. You would almost think we were related. Given our <laughs> preferences for chocolate being basically identical. Yeah, right? pretty much. <laughs> Smarties and Reese's peanut butter cups too. I do miss uh, yeah. Canadian Smarties quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's always some in the house, you know what I mean? Like, this is what we're talking about. There's Fair. always some in the house. So. Fair, yeah. Just got to come into the office. They're usually on my desk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rein this in here so we can actually get the episode going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because I got a lot to talk about on this week's topic, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's get right into our nerdy news for the week. Uh, we are starting to get into the time of year where announcements are starting to happen about stuff coming back, you know, new projects being worked on, that kind of thing. So the first one I want to talk about, which is kind of what Mark and Paul were talking about when I first came on, was HBO Watchmen series right now looks like it is probably not getting a season two anytime soon, if ever. Sure. Damon Lindelof has basically stepped down, said he's not interested in making a second season because why would you after making that fucking first season Mm -hmm. like there's no way you're gonna live up to it and so right now it looks like hbo isn't like actively trying to get anybody else to make a season two so i'm okay with that i mean it was a phenomenal season i think that there was room for more story but i'm okay with it was pretty pretty Mm self-contained yeah if lindelof has decided he doesn't have anything else to tell then it's interesting that hbo is making the exact same decision dc comics should always be making when it comes to the watchman <laughs> and that oh the original's fine just fucking leave it alone <laughs> I'm setting the tone for future discussion in this episode to be fair, yeah. the, that's the uh that's the old the old wisdom used to be that i guess so that was kind of always <laughs> the rule in the comics where it's like you just don't touch watchmen yeah Um, yeah i'm just kind of okay with the idea of this being a mini series like it didn't have to be like a a eight season long maxi series it can just be a mini series it can just be one story and if they come up with something and the want to adopt like a similar style and tone and bring damon lindelof uh, damon lindelof wants to come back or if they have like really good ideas maybe with some of the uh, actors that are uh, still interested in pursuing the project if jeremy irons wants to come back i'd be very happy about that but like yeah, yeah. absolutely but like yeah I'm, I'm fine with this being like chapter closed put it away that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like, you know, it, it could be the sort of thing where they just put it on the shelf for years and then Damon Lindelof comes back after a couple other projects. He's like, all right, this has been simmering for a while. I've got something really cool I think I want to do. Oh, yeah. And like, that, that would be fine. Call up Regina yeah, King absolutely. again, please. And then, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I'm all, I'm all for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. See, in uh, other sort of DC kind of news. So. Something big happened at the end of Christ on Infinite Earths. I've not watched it yet, but it was already spoiled for me. So, spoiler alert if you have not watched it yet, but Barry Allen from the TV Flash encountered Barry Allen from the DC Extended Universe, the DCEU, played by Ezra Miller. So, that's now we finally at least know they're in the same multiverse together, and I think that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, well... 
No, that's been spoiled for me, so that's cool. Uh, <laughs> you could have told me to stop. No, that's fine. I don't care because, like, <laughs> I, I yeah, it doesn't really make that big a difference to me. That's interesting though that they finally got him to like do something else. Yeah, as the, you know what I mean. Like they actually finally brought that Flash and did something with him. Yeah, mm-hmm. as you want to talk about movies that have been in development hell for <laughs> what feels like my this entire life. They've been talking about a Flash movie since the nineties, and yeah. like you think now, especially they'd have an excuse to just make it, but. It just never seems to happen. Excuse me, are you forgetting the Flash TV movie that came out in the 90s? Because uh, That was a TV series, thank you. Was it a series? Yeah, Yeah. John Leslie Shipp. He shows up in the Flareoverse all the time as like an an alternate Earth Jay Garrick. Yeah, he hasn't been for a while. He's probably back in this uh, crossover. He was in Crisis, yeah. Yeah. So Mm. that's the only reason why I remember he was there because I just saw him when I watched the first three episodes of crisis. I have the other two downloaded. I just haven't sat down to, uh, I've been a little busy this week, so I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch me too. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. But yeah, I think it's cool. They did that and I'm looking forward to actually getting caught up and uh, getting to see, you know, how they executed and everything. (laughs) The CW is, has put a two season order in for, uh, the Superman and Lois series with Tyler Hoechlin playing a Superman and Elizabeth Tullock playing Lois Lane. And I've been really happy seeing Tyler Hoechlin every time he's been on Super or Supergirl or in any of those crossovers. So, and I'm obviously a fucking big Superman junkie, so I'm in the fucking bag for that one. Yeah. Uh, this this one might actually get me to look back at the Flurovers for a minute because <laughs> it's it's an actual big name superhero for a change as opposed to kind of like a I don't want to say second stringer but you know a second string su- superhero that they're because they're not allowed to use the big Justice League names I guess except yeah. the Flash you know but like like Batman and but like yeah like I we, I've been and... I've been harping for an ongoing series like a TV series of either of those characters for any of these three characters for the longest time right especially Batman I mean I'm always going on about give me my HBO Batman show and stop making these terrible movies kind of thing but yeah no I'm this is exciting because like I like that Superman and like I was excited when he showed up on Supergirl. It's too bad those scripts are still those scripts. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but he but he, he, does was, a, he was good in Crisis great... this year. So yeah. he's an excellent Superman. Like he's an excellent Superman for the 21st century too. Like on TV and stuff. I think he yeah. he holds up pretty good. So mm-hmm. although I, I was really enjoying Brandon Routh as like Kingdom Come Superman, being like quasi Donner Kingdom Come Superman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't. Pretty... I can't wait to get caught up for that. Yeah, I mean the effects were not great, but like just the idea of him back in the suit was pretty cool for me. Plus, he looked awesome. Like he just looked huge. So yeah, yeah. See, uh, and also in DC movie news that I don't really want to talk about, but we should probably <laughs> mention fucking Joker got like more got more nominations than any other movie for the Oscars this year. Eleven. We got eleven fucking nominations, including like best picture, fucking I think best whatever, best director. Best Best director. That one is what really burdens me because I just I just saw uh, Greta Gerwig's did Little Women. Did he get a one too? Wait, wait. Did Todd Phillips get best the best director nomination, sure? or did they just give it to Martin Scorsese? <laughs> uh, well, I think if he wins, he by like the transitive property has to give the Oscar yeah. to uh, Martin Scorsese because <laughs> he basically just stole everything. I mean, whatever. Mm-hmm. We've been through this, and you can go listen to our Joker episode where I tell you mm-hmm. why that movie is a piece of garbage. But we like, all that's do, fine. actually. So. Well, we all do. <laughs> the only one that I'm behind is uh, the best yeah. actor. Like yeah. Joaquin Phoenix's performance was fucking phenomenal. Still wasn't Joker, but it was a fantastic performance. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it should win, but nope. I'm okay with him getting nominated for nope. uh, for best actor. 
I will be completely fine if this movie gets completely shut out and Heath Ledger's Joker is still the only Joker that wins a best performing. Yeah. Best performance anything. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Because at least that's actually the Joker. When it comes to like genre movie snubs, I think Lupita Nyong'o not getting a nomination for us is fucking insane. Like just absolutely what the fuck. Like anyway. Instead of five white bitches getting nominations. Oh my God. At the very least, I hope they just—I hope they give it to Tarantino. Finally, like yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with this one. Because I'm like, if, if, if he's nominated, he deserves it. Just fucking give it to him. Finally, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Just go, just give it to him. Uh, yeah. Everybody else has already got there. Is it's in that category? I think right. Has everybody won in that category already, except for him? No, Bong yeah. Joon Ho uh, for Parasite. Oh, sure. Yes, right. Parasite. That's right. Now I was—I keep forgetting about Parasite. It's a good movie. I know. I gotta sit down and watch it. I got it queued up but well todd phillips hasn't won any oscars before for director i don't think i think he got snubbed for hangover too to be fair (laughs) oh god (laughs) he should have at least got a nod for that monster (laughs) in other news regarding movies about villains that probably none of us really want to see got our first trailer for this ill-fated sony morbius movie starring jared leto and it looks like a pile of trash. It's just so generic. I didn't know what it was. It looks like they just took the template for Venom and just applied it to Morbius straight up. Yeah. Which, to be fair, it was just the template for shitty superhero movies in 1998. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just looks like a 1990. It looks like Underworld. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did this, like, and at least then it wasn't Jared Leto. It was Kate Beckinsale in skin type vinyl. So, like, yeah. let's go back to that, maybe? Because Kate Beckinsale still looks good. Let's make another Underworld movie instead of doing this thing. I think that's a better mm-hmm. idea. And I mean, they they dropped in just enough like MCU references with like the the picture of Spider Man with Murderer written across it, and then Michael Keaton as Vulture at the end there, just to yeah. just like that's what's going to get people's asses in the seats, not any of the rest of this trailer. No, no. I also think that like I feel like we kind of like us getting to keep Spider Man in the MCU is this is the price we're paying for it. Like Sony basically gets to force marvel to make their film division profitable uh, every, by yeah. holding spidey hostage yeah so eventually the mouse is just gonna have to buy it you know what i mean they're just gonna be like here's your 10 billion i'm taking yeah. spider-man back can't wait for you to go out of business in five years so we can buy your catalog and you know put pixels on disney plus or whatever yeah, yeah. well yeah and they've got like I don't know. The only other franchise they have that's ready to go for Sony right now is, it, I mean, Bond's not really theirs because it's owned by Eon Productions. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they just kind of distribute it. And the only other one's Ghostbusters. And like, hey, man, I'm looking forward to Afterlife. But in that real, like, oh, do I need this hesitating kind of way? Hey, guys, so. they, don't they still have the Uncharted movie coming out? Because they just... I <laughs> know uh, that. Remember, they, they just canceled that. No, 2035. No, they changed the director to the guy who did Venom is what happened last oh. week. <laughs> Ruben oh. Fleischer, oh. Fleischman, whatever his name is. So <laughs> look forward That'll to go that. Well. <laughs> Yeah. Bull strategy, Cotton. Yeah. Let's see if it plays. <laughs> see what works out for yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, let's see. From the company that uh, actually makes uh, good Marvel movies, but not about Marvel, uh, there's a report. Again, this is sort of up in the air, not really maybe rumor at this point, that uh, Taika Waititi might be making or developing a Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. which, based on what he did on The Mandalorian, I'd be fucking all about. Yeah. So. Yep, do it. It would be nice for Star Wars to actually be kind of funny again, you know, because like yeah. it was not, it was light on laughs 
in Rise of Skywalker. And a lot of them were at the expense of poor C-3PO, where it was just like, they really did not want him around. And it was just like, <laughs> I felt really bad. Where, like, it was just, I think the original trilogy was just funnier. It's, it was more in line with our sense of humor. The stuff that they did in the current stuff is a little bit more like cheeseball humor. Millennial or, yeah. Yeah. or more, uh, or not even Gen Z sense of humor. Yeah, but of. like the Gen X-y kind of like whatever sense of humor of Star Wars was very mm-hmm. much like the sarcasm all the time. Like you had Han Solo. And we've, we just talked yeah. about this. It was all Han Solo and uh, Princess Leia up the fucking yeah. just bitching at each well, other, right? Yeah. Or like Luke giving somebody side eye or somebody telling Luke to shut the fuck up because he's whiny or never getting the odds from C-3PO. It's all just sarcasm. Yeah. Like that's why it was funny. Whereas these other ones are like, hey, C-3PO's head's bumbling. Wait, that's the prequels. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, I don't know how many cute uh, baby aliens are going to get punched as a result of Taika Waititi being the director. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, hopefully Kathleen Kennedy sets a limit (laughs) (laughs) minimum like maximum one per movie or something like that like (laughs) but it's every so is this a movie he's doing yeah yeah that's that's the rumor is that he's got his hands potentially on a on a movie Star Wars movie I saw his name in Star Wars in the same headline maybe they could do that um that uh those two stormtroopers like just bumbling (laughs) through the universe yeah I would be so into that and Adam (laughs) Pallali just beats up baby Yoda like like every movie and just have a series of him just being like and then yoda finally gets his revenge now what if this gets combined with the feige project since they like working together already over on the other side uh, of the street you know what i mean like what if this he's developing taika's project too like if it's the both maybe of them, then this is obviously the star wars we're all really excited about at that point <laughs> so all right cool maybe. i mean at this point like that one scene at the opening uh, episode eight of mandalorian sells me on this movie because we're we're not doing big spectacle epic stuff anymore right like they're going to be able to do weird little side story stuff now in the movies and hopefully this means taika gets to put his fucked up stamp on george (laughs) lucas's bastard creation so yeah well speaking of the the big epic star wars stuff there has been i don't usually like talking about like what might have been kind of thing but uh there has been some buzz this week about colin trevorrow's script for for rise of skywalker Mm -hmm. and one of the things that it would have kept is that ray's parents still would have been nothing she would not have been a palpatine Mm -hmm. and palpatine apparently would not have been in the movie at all like still would have been dead and buried kind of thing so Mm -hmm. that means like they they really fucking changed that movie from what it was going to be if uh if they'd let colin trevorrow yeah i didn't mind his treatment to be honest like i know i'm not (laughs) i have talked shit about colin trevorrow in the past and i will continue to do so because he still makes bad movies but like this particular treatment seemed like one of the better ones that I have seen like overall, cause I've seen other people like what they wanted from the, like other sci-fi writers have done treatments, like what they wanted from this star Wars movie. And his was one of the least bad, I will say. So <laughs> yeah, but like, and if that had gone into production, who knows how it actually would have ended up. So yeah, exactly. yeah it's all speculation eventually there's going to be a book that's going to come out and we're going to find out what like all of these star wars movies that people have been hired to produce and then fired from we're all going to be about you know what i mean because there's like we've how many of these projects have we heard announced like there was ryan johnson's there was uh dnds there's like the kevin feige one now like there's there's like six of these things and like one or one of them's going to get made and then all the other ones are going to get forgotten and i'm curious about what all these other ones were going to be so i don't know Mm -hmm. Yeah, some Star Wars historian at some point will will do that. Yeah. Put it all together. 
did you see did you see this headline just popped up on uh io9 which like today at six like disney killed fox like they yeah i did that was what i was about to i was about to get to next yeah but uh so disney basically has rebranded the 20th century fox and fox searchlight and 20th century fox all as 20th century studios and searchlight pictures for the fox searchlight stuff so the name fox has been totally dropped which is probably because fox news has toxified the shit out of that uh out of the name, entire that name. uh english-speaking culture out of that uh, yeah in yeah. general you yeah. know so whatever uh <laughs> good riddance which is part of my wife's last name so that's a problem. uh yeah <laughs> i can't look at her anymore at least she's not like some you know like wafy blonde who like hates black people so that's good for her true it's a lot of history. That's a big studio getting just like kind of nixed and like erased too. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of history in the 20th century studio name, regardless yeah. of the Fox association. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of in, like we're just losing big old studios. Kind of like when they kill Vertigo. You know, it's like yeah. it's going to happen, yeah. but huh? Interesting. Sucks. Well, yeah. maybe not sucks. They haven't really done much good lately, but like, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of times lately where like I'll be watching an old movie and like see you know one of those opening for the studio and be like wow i haven't like seen one of those like forever like columbia tristar Tri-star, like i was just thinking that and too. then yeah. and then you go yeah. and look up it's like oh they fucking got bought out like eight times and like yeah. 20 years ago or something like that i know because i was just thinking um, my mom was watching lord of the rings and i was like miramax is does that mm-hmm. exist anymore like they don't really make movies anymore right like, that's, that's the harvey weinstein, that was the, that's yeah, the weinstein, that's right? weinstein brand that's so, the weinstein yeah. brand that's and then there was the other one that i was oh uh orion remember orion like orion did yeah orion did uh, Bill and Ted both the Bill yeah, and Ted movies? That, that's right, they did the Bill yep. and Ted movies, and now yeah. it's one another one. They're just kind of like, oh, that's gone now, I guess. So, yeah. Paramount is still kind of around, right? I remember, see, I like the stars Star- circling Star the mountain. Uh, yeah, yeah, Star Trek and Transformers, right? Yeah. They do those movies. Okay. So I think they're yeah. okay-ish right now. Yeah. They're still owned by Viacom, like it's still CBS, Viacom, Paramount, like that's all together again. That's why Star Trek's all under one roof technically again. Mm. Because uh, CBS, Viacom, Paramount all kind of remerged or was repurchased or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure we talked about it at some point in the last like year or so. Star yeah. Trek news has come in. So Let's see, in sort of non-Marvel or DC comic book movies, we've been talking a little bit about this uh, Great Machine movie based on the Brian K. Vaughn, Tony Harris X Machina comic, uh, and it now has its lead actor Oscar Isaac is going to play the superhero mayor in oh, fuck. the Great Machine. Holy shit, he's playing Mirror 100? I'm in. Let's... Yeah. I'm in. I'm in, yeah, too. Fuck I'm it. happy. I'm fucking, yeah. That's <laughs> pretty good, need to man. read that one. You are, so, yeah. Sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. And and I'm sure I'm on the DC Universe app, anyways. I would hope so at this point. But I don't know. I've got the trades here. When you get up to Canada, you can just take my trades if you I mean, want to read it. So. If it's not now, it will be like shortly before this movie comes out, for sure. There is definitely that. So. Yeah, who's is this actually a Warner movie? Like, Did they pick it up? Because I can't I like I, that was that was published under Wildstorm, but I think it might have started before Wildstorm was bought by DC. Yeah. So I don't know who technically owns the rights to it right now. Yeah, I'm not sure. the The article I'm looking at doesn't say specifically who's uh, producing it or anything. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, be interesting to see. Uh, what else? And shit that is not happening. So there had been talk about a Dark Tower Amazon series, and that is apparently dead now. Good. 
because yeah, <laughs> sorry. Apparently that Idris Elba movie. I think we trashed that Idris Elba movie like last week or a couple weeks ago or something like yeah. that. Oh, the Dark Tower. Tower. The yeah. Dark Tower was a monster of a movie. That was a piece of garbage. So, <laughs> yeah. I've read those books. Uh, it was. It kind of sucked. So yeah, I think this is also part of us. We're starting now to see the implosion of like everybody was trying to put out like their next Game of Thrones kind of thing, and now we're starting to see like, oh hey, like some of these aren't doing as well. So maybe we should start backpedaling on all these fucking fantasy projects we've been trying to push. Mm-hmm. So. Like I think that we're in that weird era because like information is so accessible that like we hear about these project announcements like, and they get hyped really quickly, but like they're at the very infancy. And so like them getting shit can would, it would, would be totally normal non news like 25 years ago. Like we would have heard about, Oh, there was like a pilot developed like 30 years ago for wonder woman or something. I don't know, whatever. But now we get to hear about every little thing so we can track yeah. everything from its like, from its infancy to most, yeah, like the most nascent stage all the way to yeah. like whether it gets canceled or the production hell story that we tell about whatever flash or what what have you right like it yeah is, yeah so, so that uh, like it's becoming such a like a common story because we just have access to that story now more yeah. more often than we did before i don't know why studios even announce that stuff but i'm i'm sometimes i'm happy to hear about some of that stuff because it's like well at least they're still giving shots to these projects and like maybe like other projects will like pop up and you know like we can we can support them somehow if we need to yeah i mean and part of it is that like they're you know they're floating ideas to see what the response is right Mm -hmm. because they can get that now from like social media and shit like that rather than having to do like put together a pilot and do a test screening they can say like hey (laughs) who's excited about this and you know they can yeah, <laughs> the public outcry of no when they said let's remake the Princess Bride. I mean, like, ever, yeah. <laughs> like I just remember. I don't think the internet ever coalesced into a, a combined no so forcefully <laughs> as I saw when it was the yeah. Princess Bride getting like, oh, we maybe want to touch the Princess Bride. Everyone was like, fuck no, yeah. Carrie always no, yeah. Yeah. Let's see, we're only like a week away from Picard coming out, and Alex Kurtzman, who is kind of the guy that's got the keys to all of the TV Star Trek stuff right now, has said that uh, on top of that, and Lower Decks, the animated series, and Section 31, the Michelle Yeoh like, Star Trek spy series, there's apparently two additional live-action Star Trek series in development. Yeah, well, we know what one of them are, so... Well, you you want one of them to be the new Enterprise. Yes, but that's basically the one that's that's the big rumor is that that's the one that they're really pushing to have uh, on TV uh, next year because they want a more because people are calling for a more traditional Star Trek. Like that's what the fan base is calling for. Mm -hmm. And the only way they're going to keep those CBS All Access subscriptions rolling hot is if they keep a big chunk of the, you know, core Trek fan base happy. So and that's what we all want is that like Captain Pike doing star trekky shit and number show. one and yeah, yeah number one and, and spock, spock. And, yeah. yeah yeah so if they're not developing that then the rumor rolls a full of shit and b they should be fucking developing that show because that's what we all want <laughs> yeah so in terms of a more traditional trek show do you mean something like star trek voyager which is 25 years old this week <laughs> sure man as long as they're boldly going somewhere <laughs> you know what i mean and not just like we're not watching th- the same three people cry every week boldly going home <laughs> 
Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very slowly, boldly going home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Until that last episode when they get real fast. Real yeah. fast. <laughs> One of the series I'm most excited for this year is season three of Westworld. And we got an announcement that we're not going to have to wait too much longer for that. It comes out on March 15th. Ooh, uh, okay. So I am. I should finish season two. Agreed. I am in, I in exactly the same boat. I was just thinking exactly the same thing. I was like, man, I should really watch the last couple episodes of that season because I don't know how far I got into it. I think I got four episodes in and just kind of, whoops. It finished pretty crazy from what I remember. Mm. It, did, it definitely sort of slowed down a little bit in the middle as they were going more into like the man in the black hat or whatever is like backstory and time jumps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But then it, it closed out pretty intense as those seasons tend to do. Yeah. yeah so cool i know i'll have to get to that because i mean the the hype behind season three is pretty intense like people seem pretty excited about it so yeah the very last thing i had was that there a sci-fi gave a, a series order to a, a chucky child's play tv series uh and that's a fucking fun as hell character i don't know if they're actually gonna have brad Dourif uh voice him or not but fucking should was it then they just have mark hamill do it on a netflix show like oh, did last they? year? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was a, like a 2019. I think yeah, I think I remember something about that. Yeah, wasn't didn't that did that show not happen or I don't know. Man, they just reboot Child's Play every 15 minutes. I mean, yeah, they fine because it's it's an easy franchise to keep redoing. But like, have we not reached saturation on killer dolls? Like, yeah, what more do we need to say in the Child's Play universe? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Child's Play. Yeah, there's a movie that came out. Oh, is it a movie on Netflix? Because there's like a 2019 Child's Play. I keep seeing it. So, yeah. It's with Aubrey Plaza, isn't it? Isn't Aubrey Plaza in I, it? I don't know. But I thought it was Mark Hamill who did the voice. So. Yeah. Mar- yeah. Uh, yeah. It came out last year and I have not seen it yet. Yeah, they came out last uh, June, and Orion Pictures did it. There you go. See? <laughs> and what, you're right, Paul. Aubrey Plaza, Gabriel Bateman. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Mark Hamill is the voice of Chucky. Yeah. Hmm, there you go. Yeah. And did not make a whole lot of money, but also probably didn't cost a whole lot. So I thought it went right to Netflix, but I guess it did get a theatrical release. That's cool, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I need to go back and watch that. I like those movies. They're fun. The, the first one's like an actual horror movie. The rest of them are just like camp schlock. Eventually, Jennifer Tilly's like a huge part of them too, which yeah, immediately Bride means you've like, of Chucky. You've, yeah. you've slid into B movie territory very hard at that point. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I love, hey, I the mean, presence I, of Jennifer Tilly doesn't automatically mean it's a B movie, shady bitch, but <laughs> but it kind of does. <laughs> it greatly increases the probability that what you're watching is a B movie. <laughs> yeah, hey, man, don't get me wrong, I love Jennifer Tilly. She's a beautiful woman, and like she's fun. Like she's got funny that like hell. super funny hammy like bit that she does and i'm like she's great but like you know she's not she's not getting calls for avengers movies you know what i mean so yeah there you go that's true uh but that was yeah. everything that i had for this kevin feige is has... gonna hear this and fucking put her in a movie like next year <laughs> like she's gonna be in four just because he heard me say that too <laughs> yeah. uh did i miss anything guys video game news just a couple things oh yeah cyberpunk got pushed back to september i yeah. did see that yeah yeah, Cyberpunk got pushed back to September, and the Final Fantasy VII remake got pushed back a month. So that's in May like, now, just right? Just some delays. Yeah, it's in a- April. April. Oh, now. Dude, what's funny? I think they moved that back to get out of Cyberpunk's way, and now Cyberpunk is just like way out of the way because they've delayed it six months. Trust me, Square Enix can always use more <laughs> development time. Oh, they true. can always use more. They're gonna. There's gonna be a fucking like two, three hour long uh, download for the patch for Final Fantasy 7 Remake on day one. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I'm re- I can't wait for that. I'm a I'm a fan of the current Tomb Raider run, and those are all Square games. So trust me, I'm well aware yeah. of the day one patch that is as big as the file that came on the disc. So you may as well not even, you know, buy the disc and just yeah. download the whole fucking thing. So oh, there was also some Smash Brothers news. The last character came out, and it was another Fire Emblem character. So everyone just kind of rolled their eyes and <laughs> didn't really care. But they gave some costumes to the Mii fighters, and one of them was uh, an Assassin's Creed costume. Another one was Cuphead. There was some Mega Man costumes, so that was kind of cool. Get to beat up people as Cuphead in uh, Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty happy about that. But other than that, not a lot of video game news. So that's a that, that's where my expertise ends. Fair enough. All right. Well, with that, we can move on to our Geek of the Week. Geek of the Week, where each of us describes the geekiest thing we've done in the past seven days or so. So let's go to Mark first. What's your Geek of the Week? Oh, man. For all the bitching I've been doing about Star Wars, like I finished the star wars video game finally so oh yeah fallen yeah. order yeah so I, I beat fallen order this week totally it was fun uh it was worth the 40 dollars. like don't pay full price for it because it's janky as all fuck like it's broken basically <laughs> in a couple spots but like it still plays really well but you can just tell like it was rushed out the door yeah i caught some like interesting stormtroopers just floating through the landscape in a t-pose <laughs> <laughs> at one point and i was like it might be time to reset the old xbox uh, i think things are going wrong here so because <laughs> i don't think the stormtroopers are supposed to be able to fly like that <laughs> but other than that like it was it was a fun game like it's got that kind of dark soulsy like slower paced combat and stuff like that and you know it's a star wars kind of metroidvania game so if that's your thing you should probably have tried it already uh but i've seen it on sale now pretty commonly so just go it's not geek cred yet, but like I would recommend it if you're a Star Wars fan, especially because you basically just get to slaughter stormtroopers with a lightsaber for ten hours or whatever. That does sound like fun, and I had a good time doing that. So, especially like, can I spoil it? Can I spoil something? Can I spoil? I'm spoil sure, it. I don't know yeah. when the hell I'm gonna have time to play it. So, you get a double-ended lightsaber in the game, and oh, nice. it makes you just like you, you're like a fucking death blender at that point. And I'm like, this is <laughs> I'm having a good time. Now, so. <laughs> That was my Geek of the Week, is uh, Jedi Fallen Order. So when you guys get home, it'll be on the Xbox, because I buy everything digitally, so I can't get rid of it. So there you go. Nice. There you go. Paul, how about you? My Geek of the Week was, I've done another like full artist archive binge, uh, music artist archive binge, and I chose Roy Orbison to do. I like He popped up on one of my 60s like dance Apple Music playlists, because I listened to those while I'm working out. And I was like, I really love Roy Orbison's voice because it was Oh Pretty Woman. And I was like, why don't I should like listen to more of his stuff? So I deep dove into a lot of his old recordings and albums and stuff. And it was, the man was amazing. And like one of like the progenitors of what rock and roll is now. And I found out that he did like a his own version of Unchained Melody, which is actually like a nice kind of less intense version of the righteous brothers song like the righteous brothers one has a lot more like um histrionics symphony uh, yeah (laughs) but i think effective histrionics i think that i know that unchained melody is a huge joke now because of ghost and ghosting and all that stuff but it's a still a great song but roy orbison is amazing and uh yeah more roy in general that led me to going into a lot of the other like 1950s crooners uh bobby darren uh neil sadaka paul anka and uh connie francis who i think is going to be my next binge because she's friggin' great so yeah old music is still good music 
Nice. Yeah, it's one I, I've never really uh, deep dove into, but I feel like I probably should. He was Chris Isaac's kind of hero or whatever, so I kind of got into him via Chris Isaac when I did my little yeah. when I had my little Chris Isaac phase when that show was on. I still wish that show could get on DVD someday, but licensing yeah. rights, kids, you know. Yeah, licensing that rights. voice though, Roy Orbison's voice. Yeah, Oy. yeah, and by extension, Chris Isaac's voice as well. Yeah, yeah, because it's basically the same thing. So. It's the same thing. Yeah. Listen to Wicked Game too, guys. Why not? Just listen oh, to man. Wicked Game. That album is fucking yeah. awesome. I love that record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So for me, my I've been real busy. We're starting sort of the process of like you know getting our house packed up and on the market and stuff like that. And with all that, I have not had time for any sort of out of the ordinary geekery. So the geekiest I probably got this week was like my weekly comic book trip because I always make time for that. You know, I. I've always got errands to go out and run, and I mean, I think there's definitely something geeky about going out and dropping, like, you know, whatever a week on my comics. And don't, don't, don't do that. Tell us how much ridiculous amounts of money <laughs> you spend a week on DC comics. Uh, it's probably forty or fifty bucks a week at the moment. So you're basically keeping DC comics in business, right now. <laughs> keeping the lights on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> paying those real high Jim Lee page rates, you know what I mean? Somebody's got to pay that man his salary. So, hey man, if if they keep fucking putting out shit that's drawn like uh like Doomsday Clock, then <sighs> I'll, I, I'll I'll keep fucking buying it. Pay Gary Frank his weight in gold cuz that yeah. that really helped me get through this book for sure. Was uh, yeah. those pencils are there's something else, so. Absolutely. Uh all right, so with that, we can move on to our meat of the episode. Epic crossover meat. So, as we have already sort of alluded to, this week we're going to talk about Doomsday Clock, DC Comics' most recent sort of uh, big crossover epic, which uh, brought, which I've pimped multiple times on the podcast already. Over the course of the three years that it took to get the damn thing done, <laughs> yeah. It did, it did. It uh, It was a very long-released series. It, the first issue came out in November 2017, and it finally finished last month in December of 2019. So after the first issue came out pretty quickly, they said, yeah, this is going to be shipping bi-monthly over the course of two years because it was a 12-issue series. So Yeah, and they're also very long issues, and Gary Frank pencils all of them. So yeah, yeah I, can exactly. I can understand delays on this because the art's like next level so yeah and also jeff johns is like one of the high ups in dc's like story department overall so he's got a lot of other shit going on so between the two of them i can understand why it took so long to get it all out wait so you mean he doesn't have his script ready to go before he actually finishes the series i'm like that's always that always that explains a lot actually <laughs> so. yeah i don't know he might have i mean I was, we'll we'll talk about it anyways. So this is the story that uh, sort of brings those Watchmen characters. It sort of finishes a story that was first teased in the uh, Batman and Flash crossover, the button that was came out even before that, like a few years ago now. It was 2016, I think, when that came out. I read yeah. it before I read this the first time. So just to kind of, yeah. I was trying to figure out where all this stuff fit in continuity also, which is problematic yeah so yeah and we've been seeing like teases back and forth about like some unknown force that had been manipulating uh parts of the dc universe and so this is kind of what pays off all of that and so the the overall premise i'm just going to sort of read what's on wikipedia I, there's no way i'm going to be able to do a synopsis of this because 
holy shit, a lot of things happen and it is pretty fucking dense story-wise. But the premise of it is, says Doomsday Clock is the finale of the story that was established in DC Rebirth, officially concluding the storylines that began in the New 52 continuity. The comic features the concept of the multiverse where the Watchmen universe exists separately from the DC universe and each universe's characters treat the other universe's characters as fictional. In the Watchmen universe, seven years after the massacre in New York City, the details inside Rorschach's journal have been published, exposing Ozymandias' role in the event, uh, which is pretty similar to what happens in the Watchmen HBO series. Now a fugitive, Ozymandias gathers several others to find Dr. Manhattan and bring him back to save the world. Meanwhile, in the DC universe during the present day, the Superman theory, a conspiracy theory that accuses the federal government of the United States of creating its own metahumans, has created international conflict and led to an arms race, with various governments around the world recruiting metahumans and creating sanctioned super teams. As characters from both universes meet each other, most of them try to find Manhattan for different, many different reasons, leading them to discover mysteries and revelations they have not been aware of. So that sort of sets the stage for any of our listeners that might not have read it yet. Although realistically, there's a lot of big shit that happens in this book. So I would strongly recommend if you were thinking about reading it that you do so before listening to this. Because we are going to spoil the shit out of stuff. And it's also probably going to be nigh unlistenable if you don't know what we're fucking talking about. Because there's like <laughs> dense, dense DC continuity shit to talk about on top of all the Watchmen stuff. Did you so. just hear me get hard there when you said that? I <laughs> felt it from, from, from Canada. You know what I mean? Like it was that, uh, it was like seismic how hard yeah. Tim just got. So. A true disturbance in the force over here. Yeah. Honestly. The, yeah. Like millions have screamed. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start out with just sort of uh, overall impressions for the series for everybody, sort of how you found it. Yeah. So let's go to Paul first. What do you think about Doomsday Clock? I liked it a lot, actually. I was, I'm always trepidatious about Watchmen reimaginings. Um, just as I was with the HBO version, I came in very skeptical and I came out enjoying myself quite a lot. I think that the thing that holds these stories together is that there is the author clearly had a really good vision of what they wanted and like had knew how to execute that vision very well whether or not like the the contents of it i think is where we're going to maybe have some disagreements in terms of the quality of the series like but i think that the execution overall was well done so yeah there's just like some i have some questions about like certain characterizations which uh, (laughs) was in the part of the episode the beginning of the episode where i'm just like what who what why (laughs) and what and like i think that's fair yeah but overall also not being a dc person like I kind of like that they kept it very high level. Like there was a lot of like dense dives into like, who are these guys again? I had to like, look up some names. Oh, these are the justice society people. Oh, okay. Kind of thing. And then I was like, okay, once I got like, it didn't really, the specifics didn't so much matter as like the, what the big picture was. I was like, okay, I can get on board with this because I have a big picture view of the DC universe in general. So this was actually worked well for me. So yeah, good. Mark, how about you? I had a good time with it overall. Uh, I have some like little nitpicks about it. I it, my I'm always going to be again. It's the same as Paul. I'm going to be very reticent as soon as somebody's like, "We are going to touch Watchmen again." Yeah. I, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I didn't even think the movie should be made when they made that Zack Snyder movie. I was like, don't even like, don't just don't just stop. It's fucking perfect. Just <laughs> fucking stop. So I, I like again coming into this, I'm not a huge 
Jeff Johns fan either. And not that I dislike his writing, it's just he's never written anything that like really grabs me. So like I'm not a Green Lantern or Flash guy. Um, so I came in trepidatious and was at first, I think the first time I read it, I was like, man, DC's really got to just like, can we just bring the tone up a little bit? Like this is just oppressively dark. And like, I'm a Batman fan, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but then I started to kind of realize what he was doing with it. He was like, oh, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. So like, as I started to understand what the metagame of the whole thing was, I was like, oh, cool. This is his way of telling everybody at DC that we need to lighten the fucking storytelling up. I understand yeah. that now. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, I don't know if we needed the Watchmen characters to do this version of Crisis, but if you're going to integrate them, I thought they were used pretty well. Like, I thought Dr. Manhattan and Osman Diaz in particular were jammed into the narrative properly. I was curious about why they bothered creating a new Rorschach, except for to have that character in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but other than that, like, I thought it was a really well done thing. And I, I know we won't talk about it because we'll just end up talking about the actual story. But Gary Frank's pencils, like, the art in this book is some of the best superhero art I've seen oh, in absolutely. years. Like, Gary Frank yeah. fucking crushed it. Best Superman. Like, he draws the best fucking Superman. It's like that there perfect. Was, he's big, up there. He's one of my favorites. Christopher Reevesy kind of yeah. Superman that he draws. Absolutely. I fucking love his Superman. So. I have to point out there was one panel that freaked There's me the fuck out. Panel, though. Man, There's always yeah. one panel. There's a 32-page issues he was getting out, like trying to get out. One <laughs> yeah. like, I could only yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. just something else to slide through the fucking cracks eventually. It was just particularly jarring because it was like everything else was so quality. I think I'm not sure the character's name is it Liberty Bell. She's the like Captain America looking girl with the the yeah. altar yeah. top. Yeah. There's one panel near the end, I think it's an issue nine or ten, where they're on the spaceship together, and you see her in the middle of the panel, and her fucking backbone looks like it's been like she's got like the worst <laughs> piece of scoliosis I've ever seen. It was like <laughs> Rob Liefeld levels of like what the fuck anatomy. But other than that, I have to say that this was beautifully drawn. I was just kind of like, What's wrong with her? What's going on? Is this like is this how she normally is? Oh my god, is this her superpower? What? But um uh, <laughs> that issue in particular like you were saying like having to go and like look at some of these things i'm usually pretty up to date like i stay generally up to date on what's going on in the dc universe probably because i co-host a podcast with tim so i generally need to know what the fuck's happening all the time because <laughs> he'll just start yeah. talking about it and i'll be like shit i haven't read superman in six months like i don't know what's going on who the but, fuck is he talking yeah about? who yeah, the fuck yeah. is he talking about but uh <laughs> yeah I, I was pretty happy with the way everything that I, my big question was characterization i was like why are they everybody's such a dick like everybody oh is such a dick. The only character that wasn't a giant asshole is Superman, which well, and Lois thank God they didn't do that, yeah. you know. But oh yeah, Lois <laughs> yeah. obviously. But like everybody yeah. else was just like Clark and Lois were great. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jeff yeah. John should really do some Superman work. I think he has a pretty good grasp on their. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Their relationships. I, so. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I'm pretty much on board with the other guys. I mean I. This fucking book was right up my alley. I think it generally did justice and pays very strong homage to the original Watchmen without disrespecting it. It has everything that I want in the big like crossover story. It's got fucking continuity nods out the ass. It's got time travel stuff. It's got major status quo shakeups. It's got a lot of really great character moments. Like 
this basically in the same way that a Warren Ellis Castlevania series is like made specifically for Mark. This series is made specifically for Tim. Yeah. Because Tim's a blasphemous, <laughs> blasphemous monster who thinks they should just keep doing Watchmen stories for some reason. <laughs> He's that one comic nerd who's like, I'm totally fine with this. No, I've, I've said that, uh, you know, before Watchmen was of mixed quality. Oh, uh, that was uh, definitely a mixed quality. That's why I was so reticent about this because I read those when they came out and was just like, please don't do any more of this guys. Cause like <laughs> this didn't go well, mm-hmm. but I mean, I was very impressed with how well Jeff Johns did with this for the most part mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, not shitting on Watchmen and also just tonally how tonally he picks up right where Alan Moore left off, mm-hmm. except like set in 2019, like he played on the current political climate really well, just like Watchmen played on like the, you know, that mid eighties political climate. And uh, I was also, even though it's a different Rorschach surprised with, cause Rorschach is a difficult character to nail the speaking tone and stuff like that. But he did a really good job on that character in particular. I found mm-hmm. I had a couple of moments where I thought he was, he was hitting it a little hard, but for the most part, like that's a hard character to like really get down, Dialing, especially yeah. like when he was originally written by a, he's a crazy person originally written by a crazy person. So like you try wrapping your head around that fucking dialogue, right? Like, yes, that's like a crazy person written by Alan Moore, who is a wizard already or some shit, (laughs) you know, like, so that's going to be a hard cadence to kind of nail, but I thought he did a pretty good job for the most part. My only problem really was like the, the Dr. Manhattan narration here and there was like, he wasn't using like he wasn't i don't i don't know how to say it but it's almost like alan moore had it way more planned where he was putting the dialogue so you were never confused by what he was saying Mm. whereas this one i felt like they were doing it more intentionally to cause you to be confused and like add to the mystery kind of thing i can Um, see that so cool so let's see i want to start off by talking about the art i don't want to fucking like not talk about gary frank's art the covers to begin with i thought were excellent and every bit as iconic as Watchmen's covers and and especially effective i think on almost all of them well all of them had a a and a b cover and one of the two covers was basically a a blown up version of the first panel which Watchmen did as well and i think is really effective at sort of drawing you in to the story and you know those images on the front are very iconic and and also sometimes kind of obtuse yes spoilery but also kind of obtuse yeah um or spoilery but you don't know what they're spoiling that kind of thing yeah and then even those back covers which probably weren't gary frank but like with what you believe at first is red blood inching down the page and then on the oh, very yeah. last issue you see it's actually superman's cape i, I thought that, that was a nice a uh, nice little touch too mm-hmm. yeah but you know, they, yeah then the art itself is just fucking fantastic like gary france frank's arc is really detailed it's really expressive it's very impactful some of the panels are framed in a really cool sort of interesting way where like you're not necessarily focusing on the characters that are speaking but you're instead focused on a uh, element to the background or an object or something like that mm-hmm. which is very cinematic yeah and he goes back to the, the original watchman panel layout like the nine grid and stuff like that yeah. a lot. he pays homage to dave gibbons layouts a lot in this yeah and even some panels like i was i just recently picked up the watchman noir like the uh the just black and white version of it like we just get the inks mm-hmm. and like i had them both kind of while i was flipping through this one there are panels like oh yeah he 
I don't know to say lift, but like he obviously homage certain panels from the original book mm-hmm. and stuff as the oh, yeah. thing. So and he draws yeah, sure. uh, unhinged clown people very well. Like he does. <laughs> quite good. Marionette in particular creeped me the fuck out when he had the panel like on her face when she was attacking was like yikes. Yeah. And the Joker too. He did a really cool Joker. His, I like his Joker. I like quite his a bit, Joker's actually. really cool. Yeah. yeah. His Batman's a little generic, but like his Joker was excellent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really enjoyed. Like I love that panel structure too because I mean, yes, it's pulled from Dave Gibbons, but uh, it. I mean, for one, it helps you to feel like you're reading a Watchmen story, but two, like it's super effective at keeping a very steady pace because yeah. these are like this just as Watchmen constantly felt like it was barreling towards some inexorable kind of conclusion yeah. like closer to midnight in this case right or closer to the nuclear holocaust or whatever in the original yeah. um watchman and but then it also it also makes it really stand out when he steps away from that like it's like this is really important you should be really paying attention to this because it's taking up two or three panels or like a whole fucking like splash page right. or something like yeah. that he goes back to that, like breaking the panels to like open things up to really emphasize stuff on the pages effectively too. Like he will, he'll yeah. break the nine grid to kind of bring your eye to something or like he's an excellent page designer yeah. on top of being yeah. a ridiculously good penciler. So. Yeah. There, yeah. there were times I think around issue four or five and, and generally whenever there, there was a news broadcast, like it was meant to be very frenetic and overwhelming with the amount of information that you were supposed to mm-hmm. absorb. And he, I think he captured that really well in the art itself too, where you're like, the focus was really well done where sometimes I can get like, I can really like zone out and lose interest and like want to skim through those pages. But he kept me, yeah. He kept me following, and I, I appreciated that as a, like, not as frequent comics reader as you guys. I was just like, okay. Like, I didn't feel like I needed to skim anything. I was like, I really want to absorb yeah. all this dialogue and the art, too. This was a, uh, a text-dense comic, Ooh, too. Yeah. Like, this is one of those, oh, yeah. like, like Watchmen. Story-dense, like text-dense, yeah. and yeah. image-dense. <laughs> like the original Watchmen, which is a very text and obviously image-dense comic as well, or uh, book as well. Yeah. Yeah, this is like very, very like there's a lot going on and there's a lot of like text to get through and stuff like that. And yeah, definitely. Sometimes I mean, that detracts like from the art for me a lot when it's just like, holy shit, there's a lot of white on this page because there's just fucking word balloons everywhere. But mm-hmm. Gary Frank made it work. So I'm cool. Yeah. With it. And I mean, I think each issue probably had at least two to three times the content and story of like a normal modern comic book that you yeah. get. Every issue felt like two issues to me as I was kind of reading yeah. them. I was like, this feels like almost like a 24 issue yeah. miniseries because yeah. there's just a lot of like, the, well, they're longer issues, right? Like how many pages? 40 something. For? The last issue was, was 48 pages. Um, the others I think were 32. If okay, you count yeah. the, uh, like the, the ad pages. The, yeah. The, well, not that last page that there were no oh, ads. Yeah, the, the story. Yeah, right yeah exactly. The, the little like letters and stuff like that or news clippings kind yeah. of thing they had at the end. Are you saying that the printed ones didn't have any ads? Like they were the put out prestige format with no. Yeah, yeah. Advertising? Oh, cool. Because uh, yeah. the digital stuff had ads in it, so I, I saw ads at the end of the book as I was reading it on Comicsology. Yeah, but, they did. Okay. They did a similar thing from the original Watchmen, where instead of having the Tales of the Black Freighter, they had that uh, film noir. But they integrated that really well yeah. into the storyline, and I actually think they did a better job of that in this story because Tales of the Black Freighter really felt disjointed sometimes from the uh, the main narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this one, like, it was so perfectly integrated into the actual plot. And it was part of the story, yeah. yeah like it actually, because yeah. at first you don't know, but like you kind of eventually get to the point where you're like, oh, this is part of the actual plot of this 
story yeah. happening and stuff like yeah. that. And, yeah. And this was one of those continuity points that was like just there for fucking like deep cut DC nerds. So Nathaniel Dusk is an old school, like old school, like mid eighties DC gumshoe character that only appeared, had like two, four issue miniseries in the mid eighties and that's it. And they like, and Johns was like, yep, I'm putting this guy in here and, and we're going to make movies about him and he's going to be like central to the fucking story. Well, sure. The sound you hear right now is the blood rushing to Tim's groin. <laughs> he's so excited to get to tell you that information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, to be fair, I don't, I think I have those Nathaniel Dusk uh, miniseries, but I don't think I've ever read them. So I'm sure you have them somewhere, buddy. I'm I sure can't speak them. to the quality of them and, and whether they're actually worth reading or not, but yeah. <laughs> See, also going back to the writing, like, and, and sort of, I mean, Watchmen and Doomsday Clock are both obviously very political books. This played pretty well with the sort of current political climate. As much as I fucking hate Trump, it was interesting to see a comic, like, actually acknowledge, like, yes, this is Trump's America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, have him, like, tweeting and obviously the, you know, tone of voice and stuff that the president Oof, was taking. Yeah. And I felt that in my bones where it's like, uh, the bigger they are, the bigger they fall. And actually, Mr. President, yeah. I was like, <laughs> see, my, my real problem was like in a universe, like the DC universe, where like, if what was going on in the real world was happening in the DC universe, Superman would have gone and taken care of it already. You know what I mean? Like he would have walked into the fucking so. white house and dealt with it. Like just because, he but, but he's to. always so non-interventionalist, right. In terms of like dealing with governments, if Superman didn't, then like they basically have a yeah. mob running the white house. There's yeah. a guy in Gotham who's really good at taking out organized crime organizations. <laughs> oh, I don't yes. know. Batman would have. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> this Batman definitely would have because that guy. This Batman would have killed him on national television, apparently. So. Yep. Yeah. Or something nasty because he was like, it was crazy. Even the glimpses that we got in the early issues of the back in the Watchmen world, like that whole idea of like Vite's plan that, you know, gave them the opportunity to reset and then it just fucking the public blew it basically yeah they couldn't fucking make it work and and couldn't just take the quote-unquote gift that they'd been given you know the chance to to actually just fucking completely disarm and and then and then holy shit the thing that was really terrifying to me was the glimpses of the news coverage and then like the national news network taking over for all the independent news networks that were forced off the yeah. air yeah, I keep waiting for that day. That day's got to be coming soon, right? Like that's happening. It's, in it's already in Russia. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so. like Russia's been like that for centuries. Yeah. So whatever. What What else? What else do you guys like about it? I like that it. Actually, no. What did I not like? <laughs> no, I my my question. My first thing was like, where, where's Wonder Woman? It was kind of like the big thing. Like they keep having to kind of pay lip service to keep her out of the story, where she's yeah. been called back to Themyscira and stuff. So I was like, oh, that's disappointing because this felt like a Justice League story that was missing some chunks kind of thing mm -hmm. also i'm just gonna throw this out there this is the best x-men story i've ever right i was thinking that black <laughs> adam was magneto like the entire time like he yeah. was it's a basically a it's it's house and uh, house of x and powers of x in the fucking yeah genosha yeah. i thought it was yeah. Yeah. with Krakow. i immediately as oh, soon as yeah. he said sort of like telling everybody to go to kandak i was like well okay <laughs> They're just doing the X-Men plot now, yeah. which I mean, fine. It's a good plot like that. Work, and it totally works and makes sense in this context. And there's only so many stories you can tell. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was very interesting. As soon as they started going down, like because there's panels that allude to like the governments of other countries using Luther Tech to scan for metahumans in their population yeah. and then taking them away and creating their armies with them and stuff like that, which is a super X-Men 
plot point. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's something that happens all the time in those Claremont books back in the day. So that's the one that keyed me in as soon as they started grabbing metahumans out of the crowds and like taking them for weapons programs. I was like, huh. Oh, that's a that's a familiar story beat oh, that. Uh, yeah, high weapon X. Hello, Wolverine. Like, high yeah, Omega high Wolverine. Red. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that's I mean that, that that's just I mean I'm just goofing around. Like I understand why they did that and it totally makes sense. But I was I was very taken out of it for a minute where I was like, oh wait, they're doing the X Men story. Yeah, cool. Especially as they just started to describe meta meta genes and meta humans. I was like, oh. This is just mutants, guys. Like you just changed the name of mutants. <laughs> yeah, and cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, they've had that that meta gene. I mean, it, it, Marvel definitely did it first, but DC yeah. has had it since like the '90s, kind of thing. Yeah. So it's definitely a concept that's been around in the DC universe for ages as well. Okay, I, I don't remember it coming up that much because DC's heroes tend to have their yeah. like extra normal kind of Spider Man ways. Of, I mean, I say Spider Man ways of getting their powers, but you know, yeah. Like other ways of getting their powers, whereas like Marvel leans on the mutant thing a lot, right? Like a lot of yeah. characters are just mutants because it's fucking easy to say, like how they get superpowers. We don't know mutants, like that was, yeah. and that's why Stanley gave the X Men mutation as their thing because he ran out of fucking ideas and he admitted to that <laughs> himself. He was like, I don't know, they're just mutants. Fuck it, who cares? They have powers. <laughs> it's kind of something that DC just sort of backs away from sometimes and sometimes they step up closer to like in the early 90s there, there was a crossover called invasion i remember and one of and sort of the end of it was like what is it the the dominators i think yeah. uh set off a gene bomb that triggered a whole bunch of metagenes like metagenes and just normal people kind of thing that started that created this whole new wave of heroes at that time and which is also an x-men trope yeah. like it's one of those super common <laughs> x-men tropes actually the giving using their their special thing to give everybody powers terrigen mist it's the inhumans right mm-hmm. yeah the inhumans yeah that kind of i mean like i'm not saying they're stealing because obviously everybody steals from fucking everybody in the comics world but it just when i was reading it I, it took me right out for a second to be like oh this is the x-men story cool yeah yeah <laughs> all right and but i think that like because it was a B plot in service of the larger yes, uh, concept yeah. that I was kind yeah. of okay with it because it's almost like a commentary on the on X-Men in general. X-Men. And like when you have DC level powered guys like Dr. Manhattan Superman, like the the Oh yeah, but it's not just like those yeah. two, like Captain Adam and like there's a lot yeah, of yeah. Firestorm and insanely powerful, yeah. like reality altering characters in the dc side which is like i mean there there are those guys on marvel but like if you really look at marvel's lineup of earthbound heroes it's not as like cosmic crazy Mm. as what the dc guys generally are so yeah well since we're already sort of talking about this like that that superman theory element i was i thought was really cool i thought it fit right in with that tone of watchmen like government conspiracy to create powered individuals and like that's a common in universe question like basically fucking john's just hanging a lampshade on that idea that like almost all of the heroes in the dc universe or in any comic book universe are usually in like the u.s because yeah, that's where right. all these companies started kind of thing yeah and then how it sort of ended up being or did end up being like a government project that was run by martin stein yeah. like half of firestorm i was like yes i like i love firestorm and I, but i'm perfectly happy with them doing that retcon like i thought it was really a really cool yeah. way to treat that this is a big story for your boy too eh? like he's a uh, very prominently featured oh yeah he must have because as soon as i started reading this and i started noticing <laughs> how prominent firestorm was and i'm like tim's gonna make yeah. me review this like, we're <laughs> absolutely doing this an episode of this because this is like 
Watchmen and a big DC crisis kind of story. And on yeah. top of that, basically the Firestorm, co-lead of it right. is fucking Firestorm. So Tim is so hard right now. He doesn't even <laughs> yeah. know what to do with himself. <laughs> so for those of our listeners that might not have heard it before, I have a huge soft spot for Firestorm. Like everybody's got like that one character that like this guy's spot for Firestorm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, everybody, you know, everybody's got that one character. Like this guy is is underappreciated, or or this character is underappreciated. I always like seeing when they you know roll him out, kind of thing. And Firestorm is that character for me. Sure. He's one of the first characters that I started reading uh, when I was younger, and so I was really thrilled with his involvement. Even though he did end up being like kind of a gray character in the story, yeah. morally speaking. He was trying to do right. He was really trying. Well, at least his Ronnie yeah. was, yeah. Or Ronnie was at least. <laughs> yeah, I like that that, yeah. that overall like serve that it was interesting in terms of like, oh, the the question of like that statistic of like ninety something percent of metahumans are in the United States. Like like because that news story had like that weird unverifiable statistic, it sounded like a climate change denial kind of like story where Ronnie calls it fake yeah, news at exactly. one point. Yeah. And so I yeah. like that, that Straight played up. into it while because it was a half truth or a partial truth it was still really shocking it worked really well and they brought it down to the personal with firestorm where it was like it was what's his name orchestrating the the program all along the stein, stein. dr stein, stein. yeah Mar- martin yeah. stein yeah um really i thought that was a really great twist it was overall like very well executed i did i yeah. had questions about that because like they've i mean maybe it's just i'm not as familiar with dc but i feel like they usually kind of elaborate on like there are heroes happening elsewhere like that kind of thing yeah and i mean there are and and you see a lot of them like a lot of those characters that i think virtually all of the characters that they show in some of those international super teams are like existing dc characters most of them are like super d-list yeah but most of them are real characters it's just yeah that still most of them are clearly in the u.s okay i just because i mean the marvel's always kind of got out of its way to do like excalibur and have like those weird english Mm. European superheroes like that last. I mean, the books last for 15 minutes, but they always try. And then there you go. And everybody just ends up back in America. But yeah. So I guess it makes sense. I just, I, I seem to remember DC kind of trying to whatever expand the superhero web. So this felt like kind of a, a slight retcon to me. But yeah. Whatever. I mean, at this yeah. point, this, that's all this story ends up being just like a giant 12 issue series of retcons to the DC universe. So and I'm so here for it. <laughs> yeah. You, I, I was like, every time he, every time Dr. Manhattan did something that changed continuity, I was like, Oh my God, I could feel Tim getting, or not feel, <laughs> sorry, sense Tim getting hard from here, which even, even that's gross. All that sounds disgusting. <laughs> Why can't yeah. I know anything about Tim getting hard? But I knew he was getting hard. <laughs> yeah, I was super happy with all the retcons that this story ended up making in the DC universe. So by the end of it, the Kents, Clark's parents are still alive. Uh, first and foremost, that's my biggest thing. But also the return of the Justice Society of America, the return of the Legion of Superheroes, like all of that. I was like, yes, give me all of this back. It's And I, I hope that they follow through on it, really. I mean, they already have on Legion. But yeah, I was really happy with those retcons and how they ended up tying it all together in uh, whatever it was, the I guess in the final uh, issue. Well, so where, they kind of tie it up in like, issue 11 and 12. So Yeah, but the particular part where they really set the chain of events in motion, where oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Alan Scott and stuff. Where the existence of the Justice Society causes Jonathan Kent to tell stories about the Justice Society to Clark, which causes Clark to suit up earlier in his life and save his parents 
And then that goes on to inspire the creation of, because it's Superboy that goes on to inspire the creation of the Legion of Superheroes in the 30th century, 31st or whatever century it is kind of thing as well. So that's right. That was the race. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that was so elegant, like how how John's tied all that together. I found what I always find interesting is that, like John's always goes back to the same couple of wells when he comes to writing these things. Like it's always the Justice Society and the Legion or the yeah. Lantern Corps. Like it's, he's got these things in DC that he loves to go back to. Yeah, but it's always the, one of those two things with him. But I did like the way they paid all this off because he uses them in different ways. Like from what I understand, like he doesn't, he might go back to those wells, but he deploys them differently, I guess. And I think like the way that he used the Legion and particularly Saturn girl through this story was really cool. Like I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed the way that she was used overall. Although sad Johnny Thunder was, was pretty pitiful, like in the senior home, like waiting for his grandson to come show up. Although I guess in the end there's, probably nobody coming to show up he'd just forgotten that like he's the thunderbolt now or whatever and yeah i thought that was nice though because it is like thematically tying the whole like we need to lighten up the dc universe mm-hmm. thing by bringing the legion and justice society back which are both institutions in the dc universe that are very much like we are generational and hopeful for the future and all that kind of stuff yeah then they've been absent since 52 kind of right like it's mm-hmm especially justice side i know it's been gone since flashpoint so yeah they got shunted off into a a, a different world kind of thing yeah and, and i also like that too like that they start referencing like hey earth 2 where there's like a version of the justice society but those original here like the superman and wonder woman don't come around until years after them and stuff yeah. like that mm-hmm. and, or or no earth 2 is where they were contemporary no, they were they were contemporary yeah, yeah. earth 2 is so, where they were part of the justice society yeah yeah which i mean you can you can always tell the story. See, one of my things about Superman, and it, you don't want to age him, but like you could always just tell the story where Superman's been around since the fucking 30s. Like there is a version yeah. of this where you could just be like, he came in 1938 and he's just been around forever because he's Kryptonian and immortal. And he didn't meet <laughs> yeah. Lois until mm, 2010 or something like that. So he's real old and lonely by the time he meets her or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. But then you could do the Wonder you could make the Wonder Woman romance canon like sometime in the 50s or whatever. And it doesn't have to affect modern storytelling. It can just be a thing that happened. I mean, they've done that in various Elseworld stories like that. Um, Superman, Batman generation story basically Fair. tells a story where where the characters all age in real time. But yeah, th- those retcons and then culminating in that big fucking splash page, that like double splash page with the JSA and the Legion and like all of the uh, the JLA and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Like. I, f- I just fucking was grinning ear to ear mm-hmm. when I first turned the page onto that. I was like, this is it. This is like my money shot. Yeah, it was very much like, I need to zoom in on this and take a look at what Gary Frank's doing. Oh, yeah. Because it looks like he drew that. It took him two years to draw that fucking page. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Like, I mean, I was given the the flavor of the story. I wasn't expecting that kind of like big clash showdown, but I, I was glad that it happened. It's like, it's like a cheesy kind of very DC thing. I guess it's about like sides of the aisle to it. Like big superhero brawl is like just going to happen in one of these yeah. universes. Like yeah. we, we, we both read Invincible, Paul. Remember yeah. like that? Yeah. <laughs> but every artist has to flex their group shot muscle. Yeah. yeah I'm going to see if let's, how many superheroes can I squish onto this splash page? In the industry, we call it the George Perez page, generally. Because yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. he he's like the, the master of drawing, like, hey, you're, we need an Avengers group shot for a cover. May as well yeah. call George, and he's going to do <laughs> 78 characters, and then 
the next year he'll be working for DC and have to relaunch Justice League and that same cover is going to happen with 78 characters that George Prez drew because that's what yep. he did. So Yeah. And they all look great. And they oh, all yeah. look fucking awesome because George yep. Prez was amazing. So mm-hmm. uh, Let's see. Let's go back and talk about some characters. There are a couple characters in particular that I was like, I was pretty happy with how they treated and kind of really liked what they did with. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, the two key characters in this story are Dr. Manhattan and Superman. That's what the whole story ends up coming down to is you know, Dr. Manhattan fucking with Superman's timeline and kind of seeing how the universe reforms around it. And then, and then we get that idea of the, the metaverse, which I fucking love. Like, as soon as I heard that term, I was like, Mm -hmm. Jeff Johns just put a name on like that comic book idea of like these evergreen characters that just constantly keep getting pushed forward in time. Yeah. Yeah. That Um, enacted fourth wall, break lampshade, hanging meta textual thing was very, very, uh, very much my bread and butter. I love that kind of postmodern take on storytelling. So uh, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. I like that. It made sense for Dr. Manhattan to be that person. Like he's got such a, a, like a, big picture view on the universe in general that like Mm -hmm. it it makes sense for him to be the one to say like we are in a a fantasy story like we are basically we he knows basically knows that he's a comic book character at this point so it's like i found that to be if you're going to bring dr manhattan in i'm glad that that was his the philosophical message of the story that he brought in because it's like you're you gave him a purpose beyond him being just um the foil I, for this story. The yeah. foil, yeah. yeah. And uh, and like as obtuse as he was in the uh, Alan Moore original, which he wasn't in this one, there was like a clear purpose. Um, yeah. he, he brought together, he pieced together the concept of the metaverse and the importance of Superman within that metaverse, that why he's the linchpin, why we tell those stories. And I thought that that was yeah. really well done. Absolutely. Yeah, and I love that even the, how well they tied it into Watchmen, like right down to that line where the they go back to the original Watchmen where John says, I'm leaving this galaxy for one less complicated. And then that's the DC universe where he ends up. Yeah. That yeah. was, that was, that was perfect for me. And I, I know I've said in a uh, podcast previously, like I just, I love how they handled those retcons, like all of the different versions of Superman being Manhattan, just trying to study the universe by preventing various steps that led to the formation of the JSA by trying to disrupt Superman history by like saying what if he comes in 1954 or 1985 or Mm -hmm. whatever and then how he kind of leaves his scent on everything and leaves those pictures those images behind as well yeah which allows both bubastis to track him and also lex luther and also luther to track him yet yeah both of those were just yeah super good just little story notes they had uh i liked lex luther throwing shade at ozymandias too like if uh yeah because he, he tells him his plan he's like if that's your plan i would hate to be the dumbest person in your universe like, <laughs> i was like that's that's next level lex luther shade i was like thank you lex luther for being in this story for saying that fucking line uh, reading the shit out of ozymandias yeah, yeah that was yeah, pretty great absolutely well i mean you gotta if you're you can't shit on your existing villains just to create a new one you know what i mean so lex Luthor can't change 
who he is to make Osmandius be better, but yeah. that's a perfect way for him to react to somebody who comes in and is like, I'm from an alternate universe and I was the smartest man on that planet. And I know you're the smartest man on this planet. If you're Lex Luthor, you're going to be like, all right, I'm calling security. And, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, and I like that yeah. even in spite of that, like Osmandius still proved himself to be quite the like chess master overall, uh, when it came yeah. down to it. And Lex Luthor being able to like, track that and see the bigger picture as well the villains being not quite so villainous in this regard like they're trying they're trying their best to like keep reality from falling apart in their own Mm. way except for the one guy who really doesn't care if the whole world burns and he's just out there fucking doing whatever he wants like he's supposed to be doing oh yeah (laughs) god love that joker you know (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Like I also like I really like that I, I thought bringing Marionette and Mime in were such a good choice to play against the Joker. Yeah, like you get these other like you know clown themed villains or whatever that have no idea who the Joker is, and then seeing yeah seeing those like those face offs are really really fun. Yeah, and and how they kind of left ambiguous. I can't remember how much Marionette and Mime feature in Watchmen, but like how they leave it ambiguous here, at least like whether Mime's weapons and Marionette's like Garot are real somehow, but invisible or whether their power is being able to manifest them or something. Which doesn't yeah. make sense in the Watchmen universe. Cause nobody has powers in that universe. It's so. true. Yeah. Except yeah. for Manhattan, obviously. So I would assume there's some kind of weapons they use. Like that was my assumption anyway, but yeah, like, what do I true. know? I really enjoyed these characters. Like I actually thought they were great additions and I hope they, like if these two characters stick around at DCU, I'm totally fine, but they need to leave Gotham because she looks too much like Harley Quinn in character design. I yeah. was, that was the only thing I had against that duo of characters that I was like, that character design is too close to modern Harley Quinn to just leave her there. You know what I mean? Somebody yeah. should have said something about that at some yeah. point. But when they do hang a lampshade on uh, like Joker saying like, uh, yeah, oh, Harley, it's my Harley birthday. Probably, yeah. Did Harley yeah, did Harley send these these people to try and kill me or something yeah. like that? Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that that makes sense with their modern relationship. So it works for me like that. Yeah. Perfectly yeah. For me. Yeah, like, I like how for a while I was waiting, like, how are Marionette and Mime going to pay off, but having their child, their future child be the anchor and then have Dr. Manhattan transfer the powers into their second child. Yeah, the, mm. the boy was like a cool Clark. Clark. Yes, the new Clark yeah, yeah. Uh, was a cool payoff for those two. I also would like to see them in a maybe in they might be too. Um, they're pretty violent like violent for the flash but like they yeah. seem like like rogues in a way like yeah. uh, like yeah. they seem like like silly enough like in a, concept but like a green arrow villain or something yeah maybe? something like i was that. thinking batwoman but like uh yeah, yeah. yeah or like maybe move them to bloodhaven or something like bloodhaven. that make yeah them, bloodhaven like, would work yeah like make them dick's problem or something basically i guess i don't know i just think like character design wise i mean i guess having a villain who looks like a a kind of clown girl now when you've basically turned Harley Quinn into kind of a hero. Anti-hero. Yeah, like yeah. the anti-hero. I guess that kind of makes sense to go back to that, but it's yeah. still, I just thought the design, I would have made her hair color at least different. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. At the very, I was like, why is she a blonde with clown makeup on? Like, this like a terrible idea when you have your most popular character now is a blonde with clown makeup on. So, yeah. And then she's not even in this story. That was the weirdest part for me. I'm like, where's Harley Quinn? Yeah. Well, that was cool too. Like there were definitely some parallels between this and the Watchmen show because this finished right around the same time that the show was airing. And so like, there was definitely those parallels between Manhattan having kids. Yeah. 
uh, and that being sort of a central point uh, to everything as well. So there was a lot of interesting like ties. Each of the two things we've talked about, like HBO's Watchmen and now Doomsday Clock, have both pulled from the original series in interesting ways. I thought, yeah, because like. And pulled the same idea in interesting ways also, because even like Rorschach in Doomsday Clock being a survivor like of the, the craziness that happened because of the squid mm-hmm. attack in the Watchmen universe, and then us having Looking Glass in the Glass, HBO. Yeah. I, I, I liked seeing like how, I mean, HBO handled it in a much more like HBO way, and then like yeah. Jeff Johns and DC handled it in like a superhero comic way. But like, it was cool. They were still kind of pulling from the same ideas to give characters motivation and bring them in yeah. and that kind of stuff. And it was still like, it's cool to see parallel thought like that in creative process too. Cause it's like, we have to pull stuff from that. What can we like, how do we give character motivation from the original Watchmen story? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody was driven insane by that blast. And like, that's the fallout of it. And both of them were like, yeah, we have to do that. And we both got, we got two pretty cool characters out of it. Like I like this new Rorschach. I thought it was pretty effectively done. And I was a big fan of Looking Glass. I thought that was, he was pretty cool. So Yeah. Well, I I think that both adaptations are, or continuations or whatever you want to call them, are both equally valid takes on the post-Watchmen world. They're they're different takes. Agreed. But I can see how they got from point A to point B in both of them without having to make any massive logical leaps. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need another miniseries bridging the gap which is yeah. always kind of nice so yeah because yeah. that usually yeah. that's something they, the comics used to be like dc would have totally done that right they would have told this story and then be like oh wait there's a gap here before doomsday clock yeah and then before doomsday <laughs> clock happens and yeah. there's another year-long arc that you kind of know the end of but you're gonna buy anyway because you're a dc insane person yeah. wait i'm not talking about tim specifically because <laughs> it positions the characters to where they are at the start of this yeah you know, so like, like you know you know where it in a way that you didn't expect or something yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. right and it's probably yeah. written by like somebody who's not jeff johns so yeah exactly they get fucking scott lobdell or some fucking hack to write it mm. <laughs> chuck austin that's the one uh, <laughs> i hate it don't even say those two names together please. <laughs> <laughs> i liked this version of rorschach as well i yeah, especially that idea of him being created in by the, the psychic squid attack, but also in part by uh, being influenced by yeah by Rorschach through way of his father as well mm-hmm. was really yeah. a really cool way of it of doing that. And then God, the, some of the my favorite moments in the whole series were having DC characters face off directly with the Watchmen characters, like Batman facing off against Rorschach was just classic. Like the lines that really got me were. Uh, Found cave, elaborate, question sanity, yeah. motives. Yeah, yeah. He's and calling him like a murderer or a collector or like, and yeah. Just, like yeah. yeah. You're either a serial killer or a collector, but you're weird regardless of what it is. Yeah. This is coming from Rorschach, and yeah. I did like I at first kind of like rolled my eyes at you ate my breakfast or whatever it was. And I was like, yes, yeah. I did. And I was like, at first I was like that. That just seems a little bit on the nose. But then I was like, actually, you know what? That's exactly how it would probably go. Because they're the two <laughs> most like taciturn characters ever, right? Uh, I thought it was great dog. that Alfred just kept trying to bring Rorschach in with pancakes. That was so <laughs> yes. nice. He was yeah. like, that's Alfred's... such an Alfred thing to do. He's such a caretaker. Yeah, he's totally <laughs> yeah. like the fa- the dad, right? So he's just going to go like make eggs or pancakes or pancakes. whatever. for. 
Uh, yeah, the new distraught dude vigilante that Bruce brought to his fucking <laughs> <yeah>. mansion. It's <laughs> like it's a, it's oh, it must be the second Tuesday of October or some shit like yeah. that. Bruce has brought another fucking vagrant yeah. vigilante home that I got to take care of and make fucking pancakes for. Great, yeah. well, b- great. B- Batman and his villains need their carbs, I guess, because they're all running around a lot. So <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. um, can't see in that good shape without carb loading. <laughs> oh, and, and I loved watching Alfred bash in the head of that like MAGA hat wearing fucking racist motherfucker. Yeah, it was beaten on. That was beaten on Rorschach. Rorschach. Yeah, yeah, that was very so sad. satisfying. Yeah, Alfred. Uh, <laughs> um, Alfred's always the man, you know. Yeah. Alfred's awesome. Yeah. And since we're talking about Alfred, let's talk about Batman for a second, because I really want to talk, talk about, about Batman, because this Batman was such a big, huge piece of shit. Like <laughs> he was really, yeah. he was a gigantic asshole. I was absolutely disgusted with him leaving Rorschach in Arkham. Okay, I have an issue with Arkham Asylum as an entity in general because what kind of patient care is happening in this place like <laughs> i just uh, uh, to start with but then knowing that about arkham asylum and bruce putting rorschach in there anyway was like what a, or anybody anybody <laughs> in dialogue they say they just got matt hatter back or whatever and you know that was bruce who got him back yeah and like yeah. imagine the physical state this batman brought the mad hatter back to Arkham Asylum in. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's in fucking traction, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. getting fed with a tube right now. Because this Batman was a... See, here's where Jeff Johns... This is my Jeff Johns thing. Jeff Johns, terrible at Batman. He does not understand Batman. He's never written a good Batman. Yeah. I will go to bat on that. Like, I never... No pun intended. I'm trying to think what other batman stories he's written he doesn't write him often and i think he knows it's a weakness of his like he just doesn't seem to get the character right because yeah dude he, he did batman year one didn't he or batman earth one yeah but like but even I that don't, was kind of a weird take on the character yeah. like it didn't quite gel right like it didn't feel I think right. gary frank drew that too he did that's it. why i read it because gary frank okay. drew it and it was amazing yeah. but like the story was not great either yeah i've always i this is one of those things i've been saying i remember when he first came to dc and got big i was like oh i wonder how he'll do with like the big league characters because he never yeah. at first he never really got to touch those guys he was a jsa guy he was doing the flash and yeah. eventually he got big and like took over when green lantern blew up for him yeah but like i've always found that like i wish he would do more superman and he needs to just stay the fuck away from bruce because he's yeah. just not great writing My, you're not real excited for uh batman three jokers then no Which not at all John's writing. he's writing it uh, also i think that story sounds fucking awful but like you know yeah. whatever but my problem with this particular batman is that like they used him a lot in like these really quick and dirty ways that didn't match the characterization in my head like putting rorschach in arkham asylum was a horrible thing to do but also was just there to put rorschach with saturn girl yeah that was one of the weaknesses i found was that like because the story was going at such a hugely fast clip and with so many things going on at the same time with kudos to john's for his ambition i'm not like bashing his storytelling overall just in this particular instance it was like a very convenient way to get rorschach in with saturn girl but it was as a result of full-on character assassination of batman skipping due process completely and sticking rorschach in arkham asylum just by reading someone else's journal (laughs) you know it's that that's not his (laughs) journal that's the other rorschach's journal so it's basically like i think you're crazy because you gave me this book i'm going to put you in an institution that is known for creating monsters like he's batman's been in arkham before he knows what goes on in there like just just 
Uh, I had a lot. <laughs> you would think being billionaire Bruce Wayne, also seeing the conditions inside of Arkham Asylum, he might fucking fund it better so that these people get treatment. Just build a new, yeah, tear it down and build something so new. So that he's not constantly having to be out in a bat suit every night, mm. fucking catching mm. these lunatics when they escape every time that revolving door just happens to catch their number or whatever. Yeah. So. He's not a big picture thinker when it comes to that. And then, <laughs> and so when he becomes the big picture thinker, when he's like coming in, when Firestorm is in Russia with Superman and he's like, Superman, don't pick a side. Suddenly he's got like a political stance. And I'm like, <sighs> what? Okay. Like writing wise, like Batman was the biggest problem I had overall. Because, like, that shit was just, like, you're just, like, making Batman as incompetent and, like, hateable as possible in this storyline for some reason. And it was, uh, like, The reason is Jeff Johns' Batman. Just yeah. doesn't... <laughs> can't seem to do Batman. Like, and I love Jeff Johns. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a great writer. And he does awesome stuff on the books that he's good at for some reason he just i don't know he doesn't understand batman yeah and i don't know what it is he did uh he did because he did seem to do every other character right like he he did i liked his flash i like his green lantern like his superman in this was amazing like i love his his superman lois was like no perfect superman lois to me in this miniseries yeah and like his batman was just like horrible yeah (laughs) just (laughs) horrible so yeah like, yeah, he absolutely knocked Superman out of the park for me. Yeah. And this is, you know, me being like lifelong Superman fan. Like, this is my Superman. Johns gets who he is, gets yeah. what motivates mm-hmm. him, gets his strengths, gets his flaws. And I'm, I mean, I'm super happy that this story sort of refocuses Superman as the central character of the DCU because, like, everybody would say, like, oh, Batman has more comics and more, I mean, peripheral and Bat Family and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't change the fact that, like, Superman, we wouldn't have any, yeah, Superman is Superman, we wouldn't have any of these comics right now without that starting point yeah. kind of thing. Agreed. Yep. So no matter, and I just, I thought it was really cool that no matter what Manhattan does to disrupt Superman's timeline, Metaverse just shifts and reforms around. Needs to have a Superman in there. Yeah, needs that linchpin kind of thing. Not because Warner Brothers needs to pay those bills with those Superman logos everywhere, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah. And then, like, playing with that idea that that hope is sort of central to this metaverse as well, and that's why Superman is so key to it, because he's that paragon of hope. And the S means yeah. hope, guys. The S means hope on his planet. At least Johns didn't come right out and say that. <laughs> I was waiting for it, actually, when I did a page turn. I was like, oh, he didn't say it. Oh, thank God. Thank yeah. God. Because I thought it was going there. I, for a second, I thought it was going there. But yeah, it treated Superman so, so yeah. fucking well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Lois Lane, too. Uh, yeah. I wanted to. Plus, yeah. Again. He crushed Lois yeah. and Clark. And like even having her do a lot of the investigative stuff that kind of exposed the conspiracy theory and stuff. Right. And playing on that strained relationship between her and Lex as well, yeah. which goes like back like 30 plus years as well mm-hmm. to like oh, uh, John Man Burns' Steel, Man of yeah. Steel run, oh, yeah. where like uh, where Lex had this obsession with Lois and like would not take no for an answer from her. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and having Manhattan wipe the floor with the entire Justice League was also that's, like that's not just yeah. the Justice League. That's like the Justice League plus plus. Like everybody oh, yeah. except Literally Superman everyone. and Wonder Woman were there. Like all the like American based uh, characters, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Not yeah. not the international. Ones, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the other one who's missing, right? Because you don't really see Aquaman's not really featured at all in this. Like he pops up in a couple panels, but he's not yeah. like the feature player, yeah. and he doesn't no. even get as much of a bit as like at least they kind of give Hal and. Whichever Flash is in there, kind of a couple moments in there, because obviously Jeff Johns has got 
big love for those two characters. Like the he made his. Oh, name. that's Barry for sure. That's yeah, it's Barry. absolutely Barry. Yeah, I was yeah. curious. Was there what continuity is this supposed to be? Because like Superman's it's wearing, main continuity is it? But like Superman's wearing trunks. Where's Jonathan? Like there was a lot of stuff missing. It felt like from what's going on in. No, they mentioned Jonathan because they mentioned Perry being his godfather. Oh, that's right. Okay, fair enough. Okay, fair. So, Sorry. Yeah, it's definitely main continuity. But since for a while now they've had sort of the classic like pre-crisis Superman uh, back. Well, I knew that, but I didn't realize they switched him back to having the trunks and stuff like that. Because yeah. all of a sudden, he, I was like, wait, he's in the Chris Reeve outfit again. Like he's got the. He looks like Chris Reeve Superman. He's got the trunks. But a couple of the covers had him in the the red belt outfit. So I was kind of getting confused about what universe i'm in and then it's also like wait i gotta go back to 2017 and rebirths in between there i think somewhere so i don't know really know what continuity is happening here plus like so now i don't know where john is they didn't really show us the bat family till the way end and that was kind of when i keyed into like oh that's the modern absolutely awful batgirl gray batgirl costume they're using now like (laughs) yeah worst costume i've ever seen in my life yeah i don't mind it i like the purple burnside one that was such a like slick looking costume i would have i like the costume it. i the stories i could have done without yeah but i would have just kept that costume design going for and yeah. maybe like adulted it a little bit like cleaned it up a little but i yeah. thought that was the best batgirl costume i'd seen since whatever like stephanie brown's costume was really good too i mean they've always had good batgirl costumes but like the gray one they're using now whew, <laughs> not great. that weird domino masky thing with the ears oh yeah i don't like that at all yeah. sorry <laughs> i don't know who designed that i'm sorry i don't know who that was i apologize <laughs> Not the choice I would have made. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Well, so, since we're getting into super nitpicky DC stuff, I'm just going to go ahead and go off on my little tangent about all the fucking, like, I'm not going to go over all the fucking continuity shit, but like, there's some stuff in particular that I just want to shine a light on because there were so many great little references to legacy DC characters, many of which like readers would not know at all if you haven't been reading like since the 80s like well even like Pazhar the Russian Firestorm like so many of Firestorm's other like villains that haven't been seen probably in 25 years like Moonbow and Typhoon and shit like that uh, Celsius was like a minor Doom Patrol character very briefly so I, I loved seeing all those international heroes that got at least like a, a name check which was cool and then especially in issue nine where they had all those here where we were just talking about with all the heroes are going to Mars to confront Manhattan. Like they had the Doom Patrol there, which had fucking Flex Mentallo in the background. Like they had the whole Shazam family. They had and I thought it was this was a really nice nod. They had all those Charleston comics characters in the same ship together. Like, I, I noticed like the question was with all those like I was like, with, oh, yeah, like was, there's there's Ted Cord and everybody like they're all kind yeah. of in the in the same ship together. I was like, oh those Yeah, and Captain Adam were all there in that one. I was like that's together. that's cute. Those are those are the original Watchmen characters. Like those are the characters he was gonna use originally and that he created those characters because DC was like, we don't want to shit in these characters' mouths that we just paid a ton of money for, so create yeah. analogs and that's where we get Watchmen from. So yes. it was funny because like when Rorschach kind of disappears from the story all of a sudden the question is there and having a lot of dialogue. <laughs> Did you notice that? And those couple yeah, issues where yeah. Rorschach isn't as prevalent, all of a sudden, and I, I always hear Jeffrey Combs in my head when I hear the question from the, yeah. the JLU show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I, immediately I'm just like, oh, it's Wayun. Great. Like, I'm in heaven because <laughs> I've got Jeffrey Combs' voice in my head saying awful yeah. question stuff. So <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, this series is just like a fucking DC continuity nerd's wet dream with all those little bits of history and stuff that they wove throughout it. Was there anything in particular for you guys that really jumped out in terms of like, oh, I recognize that person or like... 
a name check or anything? Because I'm just not that well versed, I was happy to see like all the magical characters together, like Zatanna, John Constantine, uh, yeah, yeah, Justice, Justice League Dark. Dark. I thought that it was funny that there was a little bit of dialogue indicating that like even John Constantine fucking volunteered <laughs> to go. Yeah. I don't, yeah. like, it's Al- Alfred or somebody has this line of dialogue where he's like, everybody's gone to Mars to face this guy, even, even John Constantine. Constantine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. even this motherfucker who never helps notorious anybody. shitbird. Yeah. Asshole John Constantine, fucking even he got on the ship. Although to be fair, if Zatanna's going and she might be going to her death, John's always going to follow her to make sure she doesn't die. Like, that's just the way that character works with Zatanna. Mm-hmm. They've got that weird. They've got the weirdest relationship in comics. Yeah, yeah. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> How about you, Mark? Any any others for you? Or no. so I had more like questions where I was like, when did they introduce all of the Marvel family? to be completely identical to the the movie one <laughs> that was my my big one that was that's the jeff john's that uh, jeff shazam john's run that's shazam going run? on right now which okay. ended up sort of being like a direct continuation of that movie even okay. though the first issues of it came out before uh, like a, a month or two before the shazam movie dropped fair enough um so. I, honestly it was so dense that i was just like ah. my only real dc lore background knowledge is batman stuff right like i I know Gotham like the back of my fucking hand when it comes to like sure. all those characters and stuff. But when you're you start getting into these big crossover events, I'm less likely to pick up like nuances like those Russian characters and stuff like that. So, okay. well, did you pick up at least where they had like a rumor in the past of Geoforce working with Batman? I did nodding yeah. back to that old uh, Outsiders yeah. team. I did see that, which was kind of yeah. cool because I remember I read those Outsiders issues and I was like, oh, isn't he an Outsiders? Oh, he was. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, to go back in that eighties yeah. outsiders. Yeah, that was a good book too. That was like, was it Ostrander who drew that? I don't know. Anyway, cool. So, all right, we've already griped a little bit. Do you guys have any issues with it overall? Stuff that didn't really work for you? Mm, no, everything they set up, they paid off. So I'm not. I wasn't like yeah. they didn't leave anything dangling. Yeah. It was clear that Jeff Johns had a very clear vision and that he executed it well. And that like, he was very meticulous about wrapping everything up, even if it was a little bit like weirdly ambiguous, like the, uh, yeah, but it's still comic book, second act, everything. They got to be able to, to have something they can pay off. Right. In, and somewhere down the, down the line, right, so. uh, mime and, uh, marionettes kids particularly were like, I was really waiting for that to pay off. And it didn't until like the final panel of the series, yeah. which I was like, yeah. okay, you, you, at least you did it. So, yeah, we got there. As soon as they said kids, I was like, oh, it's going to be like Hope for the Future. That's, that's yeah, the yeah, story. Yeah. She's pregnant again. Yeah. Like that, that was the only one where I was like, this is a little trope. Because yeah. I did like that that's uh, the line between his character in Watchmen because like, he watches the comedian murder that Vietnamese woman. Mm-hmm. And then like he stops from killing a pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. And like that's what he flashes to kind of thing is like the comedian doing that in Vietnam. Right. So I liked that. And then, because that kind of tracks his Dr. Manhattan's character properly, I still feel like he would have done something to stop them because they fucking murdered like 3,000 people. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, they were <laughs> really brutal. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's weird that they yeah. kind of got off scot free overall. Like, they're just kind of like, all yeah. right, well, you guys are like next level fucking psychopaths, but like, okay, you get, you guys have a, yeah, your kids, yeah, your kids important, so. don't leave you alone kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe just like, keep them contained somehow i think it looked like they might have been in prison at yeah. the end there yeah, like, yeah. but they to be fair they're probably in arkham asylum yeah. so like it's not completely doesn't really matter <laughs> with their kids so that kid's gonna be totally okay yeah, yeah. he's totally fine he's gonna get to meet the joker when he's in like an infant 
That's going <laughs> to go real well what for that kid. What could go wrong? Yeah, what could possibly happen that would go wrong there? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the sequel series. Because there has, Jeff Johns has already said, like, he's open to a sequel series to this. But I hope that, you know, I hope it's not something that's forced. I, I Jeff Johns never really does anything that's like, really seems to be like ill-conceived like he seems to only go into projects when he's got like a real solid idea behind it yeah. for the most part yeah you could, i mean you would argue beforehand that doing anything watchman related is an ill-conceived idea like there was definitely a school of thought where like you should just just don't fucking touch it and that was that's pre-2019 thinking yeah, yeah. Mark. pre-2019 thinking is right apparently yeah. because now watchman <laughs> is everywhere yeah and-, and like maybe before watchman was an ill-conceived notion but i have to say that like both of these like 2019 things worked somehow they worked somehow very well they yeah. worked and i so, enjoy it and even me being like like just not particularly caring about dc, DC stuff yeah. i really liked this so like i can't i really don't have that many great i guess like sometimes the storyline was so dense that i'm like some of these issues feel like they're fucking like i i'm just like yeah, yeah. I, I do wish that like it feels like it's almost like it was complication disease you know what i mean like we just had to complicate it because you felt like because the, the original watchman story is it's dense but it's it's more mystery yeah. kind of thing like it's not yeah you don't have to remember five hundred thousand things happening like yeah. that was my problem with this is like i if i was reading this the way you were reading it every two months i would have lost my fucking <laughs> mind because i can't keep track of everything that's going on like one 32 page issue of this thing was like two comics yeah, and like two, even then, two super dense comics. Yeah, you know what I mean. Regardless, because just like a lot of information getting thrown at you at all times in this book. So yeah, and I'll say, reading it every two months as I did, it was like it didn't have the same impact that it did when I reread it, read it uh, for the episode. Yeah, yeah, like I I reread it like over the past like week for the for this, and so I definitely picked up a lot more nuance and stuff like that and details this time that I didn't get fucking reading one issue every two months. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, so. And that's why um, Mark trade waits now, because yeah. holy shit. <laughs> and I'll agree with Paul, like there were parts where it was pretty dense at times. It does try to do a lot in 12 issues. At times, I think it borders on too much. And I don't like there's a couple of things like the one that really stuck out for me was I how is it four or five i don't know that i needed a whole issue about the new rorschach mm. yeah like that maybe could have been like a peripheral one shot like if they wanted to do this 12 issue series spread the stuff out a little bit more and just have like doomsday clock rorschach one shot or something like that off to the side i think i would have done it more like you get a couple pages of it per issue for the first couple yeah. issues as opposed to like really hammering it all in one issue because that's but it's yeah. it's that's kind of watchmen they did that in what the original watchmen mm-hmm. too where like the first batch of issues are dedicated to kind of introducing the characters to you yeah. the Minutemen, and yeah then, and like you get to meet rorschach and you find out why dr manhattan is dr manhattan and stuff like that and those issues are all dedicated to that individual character before the second half of the story kicks in and you get like the squid stuff starting to like will happen percolate or whatever. Up. Yeah, percolate yeah. up. Yeah. So like I don't I, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a ton to gripe about like I don't have as much invested in this as Tim did. Mm. Oh, <laughs> one thing I wanted to gripe about, the League of Villainy was felt like well, I don't know. The League of That Villainy. was the, the Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the exactly. Like you were like kind of like what? I was like it was just kind of like You know what my problem with that scene was? What? My problem with that scene was that anybody would listen to the fucking Riddler for longer than 30 <laughs> seconds. Because it, it's, never, it's never happened in, in continuity. Especially in that fucking yeah. outfit. It's never happened in continuity in, like, 
80 years that anybody's ever taken Edward Enigma seriously. Especially, like... And all of a sudden, I'm supposed to believe that they were taking him seriously. And they obviously, they don't, because as soon as the Joker walks in, everybody's like, well, the clown's here, so he's fucking in charge, because yeah. otherwise he's just going to kill us all <laughs> somehow. Yeah. yeah, I was like, uh, I guess that that was just kind of like to get Joker in with move marionette, and oh, it's, it was another one of those things where it was very obviously place setting. That was kind of my my only real gripe was some of the place setting stuff. Like we talked about the one, this is another one. And I feel like Firestorm just like being dickishly single-minded and still in Russia, forcing Superman to go to Moscow and stuff was a little bit, I was like, mm. like I get why he was there and stuff, but it's a little convenient that he stayed mm. over there this whole yeah. time kind of thing. I did love with the League of Villainy stuff when Joker wheels in Batman, Batman. in the in None the of them believe it's there. Like, no, no, like, okay, who the fuck have you thrown a bat yeah. costume on yeah. this time? Yeah. You, you fucking psychopath. And he's like, I wouldn't do that, except for those couple times that I did. <laughs> it's like, all right, that's fair enough. And I like yeah. that like, they, they have the real Batman there and none of them are even like remotely curious about looking under the mask because they're like we know it's the clown being a fucking idiot again you know what i mean he doesn't have actual and uh i also enjoyed the comedian unloading like an entire rifle on like various including the riddler like shooting him in the kneecap or whatever blow his fucking knee off yeah oh man i I, we didn't talk about this was a really violent comic i was actually kind of surprised by like the this is a real like tvm kind of comic i mean like the language was marionette Marionette like cutting off so hands. many dudes like hands and hands heads and, and shit. fingers and, and everything yeah. and like the awful shit that uh, the mime was doing and like yeah. just the language also like I don't remember DC Comics having like shit in it constantly like it, like <laughs> everybody would say like Guy Gardner's yelling shit on Mars and I'm like what the fuck is happening here and then they they snuck in a fuck through Constantine by playing the accent up did you see that like, yeah they threw a fucking in there and I was like whoa. Yeah. How did that get slide by the old censors? That's interesting. Because there aren't censors for comics anymore. Yeah, I guess there really aren't censors anymore. But Yeah, there's no comics advisory board anymore. That's true. That's true. Or but comics code or whatever. Do they not grade these for, like, rate them anymore? Uh, usually they do this. I was just looking at the copy I have. Maybe it's because it's direct rather than, like, a newsstand copy, but there's no... Uh... Are there any other copies now? Like, newsstand copy? Where do you get comics yeah, on a newsstand? Fair. <laughs> well, you can buy comics like, Walmart and shit like that. That's still, oh, fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the only other gripe I had, because we were just talking about the comedian, I, I shouldn't have been still there. unsure. Yeah. Whether he should have been there or not. Like, I don't know that I like how he, they like retconned his death where it's like, oh, we grabbed him away, like right before he yeah. died and then put him right back where he was kind of thing. I had a very, very similar, like th- some of it, like him, especially him coming into it. I was like, this is okay. Now we're like comic book convenient nonsense. And I was a little, yeah. I was annoyed by that. And I think when I was reading it the first time, that's one of the things that took me out of the story. When the comedian showed up, I was like, okay, no, he's fucking dead. This is stupid. Like, what are we doing yeah. here? That was the one thing that kind of undercut the original graphic novel a bit for me yeah. was having was bringing him back in. That being said, Joker I, faced off against comedian was pretty fun to fucking read. Yeah, it was. Pretty uh, cool. and, and especially and it was super appropriate when Joker uh, took his pin, mm-hmm. his smiley face yeah. pin. Yeah. But I still, I think I would have rather had them just leave him out of it entirely. Yeah. I don't remember him really serving a huge purpose to the story that you probably couldn't have just thrown another DC character. Like, you could have thrown Deathstroke into that role. Yeah, yeah. And it would have been the yeah. same, basically. Well, he, John brought him to track down Mime and Marionette, right? Yeah. But I don't know that John couldn't have just fucking done that himself. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I don't know. 
Still yeah, found yeah. comics, so. Cool. So, I mean, the only other thing is, for me, going forward with this, I'm really interested to see, because I do, you know, continually read DC, how much the events here, because they have made some major changes to the universe, will impact the ongoing continuity of the DC universe of these characters. I mean, they've already brought back the JSA and Legion. Legion already has a monthly title that Bendis is writing. That's been, that's like two or three issues in, but it's good so far. But Will they like reference those Superman th- or Superman theory events and like starts outing other characters as part of that? Will they like what will happen to Firestorm? Will yeah. he still exist? Is it possible when there was so many delays to the story, wouldn't the changes to the continuity would have already taken effect? Or is it just like they're waiting for the story to finish and then they're going to make the changes? Like, imagine being the guy, be Bendis <laughs> right now and writing Superman and having to like delay all your shit because like they <laughs> clock out on time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think Bendis has written anything with the Kents yet, but hopefully we'll start seeing that. And then the uh, Legion stuff, I think, started after sort of issue 10, where we start sort of start getting the feel mm-hmm. that those characters are going to be coming back. And I think that's also around where we start seeing the JSA again, which was in Scott Snyder's Justice League run. But what I, what I'd really like to see is I, I hope that some of the characters will get spinoff titles out of this. Like it'd be really cool to start seeing some of the more of those international super teams get their own titles. It would also definitely be a nice opportunity for some like cultural and racial diversity yeah, in sure. the DC comic line as well. So I think that would be neat to see. Let's see anything else? Like what? Or I guess. We can just sort of go to final thoughts and that sort of thing and and maybe a rating out of 10. So let's go to Paul first. Final thoughts on this is that even as a non-DC fan, this is a book that you should probably pick up and read. If you like Watchmen and you have a basic idea of who the major icons in the DC universe are, then you know you only really need to know who Batman and Superman are. Really, honestly, <laughs> you yeah. It's so actually sometimes not knowing who Wonder Woman is is beneficial because her absence is felt pretty hard. Pretty yeah. That that's the one thing that like I really had a problem with was like suddenly Wonder Woman being called back to Themyscira and just voluntarily going. I'm like, there's no way the world will be in this much chaos, and she'd be like, I'm totally cool going home, mom. Yeah, absolutely gonna leave my compatriots in the, the Justice League to just deal with this shit on their own, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? It made no sense. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Knowing who Diana is, that wouldn't have happened. But that being said, yeah. it was really well done overall. I would give this, um, because of the sometimes slog of getting through all this text, and this is coming from a novel reader, like I expect different things as a reader when I'm reading <laughs> uh, comic books. Comics, yeah. So, because it's a like a combined medium. Yeah. I, I would give it an 8.5 or 9 out of 10, only for... Like it sometimes it tried to do too many things at once, and sometimes mm-hmm. the characterization was not served by the plot, or the plot just ignored characterization. And so those were my gripe, the big gripes on it. But overall, it was a very successful run of twelve comics. So I'll give it. I'm gonna say eight point five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to hear that cuz you were my one sort of wild card with this because I knew that you weren't sort of you didn't know as much as about DC as Mark and I tend to. So mm-hmm. cool. A good story is a good story, man, you know? Like sometimes it's just like good writing will will win out in the end. So Mark rating will be like an 8 overall. Uh, I had some I mean my I that's fucking Jeff Johns Batman just always takes a point <laughs> off everything he does for me. Almost every time he writes Batman, I'm always like 
still doesn't get it. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, but other than that, like it's really well done. It is a little dense. Like it's very, it's a very heavy read. I was surprised by, yeah. Like even going back and I reread Watchmen this week as well before I started rereading this again, and I was like, I feel like I, I breeze through Watchmen very easily. Like it's a little bit easier to get through. Like there's a lot there, but it's a little bit easier to get through. It just felt like there's so much because you're dealing with multiple narratives threads coming from the other series and stuff like that. So you have to know all the yeah. Watchmen stuff, all the DC stuff. That's so it's fair. just, it's real heavy, but like for a big DC crisis style event, this is one of the best ones they've done in the last like 10 years, as far as like the ones I've read. So yeah, absolutely. Big ups to doing that properly again. Cause I feel like the last couple of times they've done these big crises, they just like flashpoint and rebirth and stuff. I was like, mm, I'm kind of like, we're just doing the reboot thing again because we need to clean some continuity stuff up. Yeah, which this one also this one, did, but did it in a, it a much did, nicer. But I feel like like it's a part of the narrative, though. Like right? mm-hmm. all those continuity changes were like part of the story. It wasn't just like we're doing the story because we need to make these narrative changes. It's like they tied it all together a lot better. Like it all flowed properly to get to that end. Yeah, and yeah, if DC can get away from the super super grim dark stuff that they were doing in the first couple issues. I hope this does fly out into regular continuity so that some of these books, not Batman, Batman should be nasty and awful all the time, but like <laughs> Superman, like should be a little bit more, shouldn't be. Well, that's, and that's, yeah, that's why I have like, right. Shouldn't yeah. be as grim and dark as Batman is. So I like that if they're going to lift parts of the DC universe up via this story, then like tonally, I guess, like into a brighter kind of happier DC universe again. Good. Good. And now don't do Watchmen ever again. <laughs> uh, also, just give Gary Frank all the fucking money because yeah. that man can just fucking draw yeah. like all day, every day. So, I mean, in terms of the lightning of the DC universe, that's already been happening. That's basically everything Bendis has been doing so far has mm. been uh, had had a lot more sort of lighter tone, like the Superman stuff he's been doing, the Young Justice run he's been doing, uh, the new book with the younger black female character, Naomi, he's been doing all has a lot more of that lighter, like right down to the fact that Naomi's power set is based on like bright lights kind of thing so yeah so for my part i obviously was really happy with this overall my gripes were pretty minor and didn't really detract too much from the experience so i'm gonna give it a nine out of ten uh he said there's just everything that i generally want in a sort of big epic story uh the continuity heavy stuff i was right up my fucking alley like this is written for like DC fans of like my age and older kind of thing that remember those, you know, 90s books and stuff like that and even have read back into some of the 80s stuff and even back into some of like the Silver Age, like uh, Justice League and All-Star Squadron kind of shit too. Yeah. And then like, I was really impressed how from, yes, it had its pacing issues and at times it was really dense, but I found for myself from basically issue like eight or nine onwards, it just starts fucking barreling towards a conclusion. Like for me, it was just like a page turner at that point. Yeah. And issue 10 in particular, which is the one where John sort of exposits that whole metaverse idea is probably my favorite single issue of comics that I've read in recent memory. Nice. Cool. Okay. So I just love that idea and how well John sort of put a name to it. And I, I hope that that's an idea that they sort of, you know, maybe don't do to death, but that they keep around and sort of go back to once in a while when they want to do these big event kind of stories. We'll play with uh, that a little bit more down the road. All right. Well, with that, uh, we obviously all like this quite a bit. So let's uh, go on to something else that we like and everybody can give our geek cred for the week. So Paul, what's your geek cred this week? That would be the uh, Greta Gerwig Little Women. I watched it last 
last night and it was great. Oh, so you actually saw a good movie uh, for, for once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were um the you know it's DVD screener season because all of these movies are up for award contention and whatnot. It is galling to me, again, I'm gonna say it again, that Todd Phillips is nominated for Best Director and Greta Gerwig was not. It is a <sighs> fucking travesty. Cause this movie was so beautifully made. Like everything was like I did not need another little woman, but I'm glad this exists. I love the Catherine Hepburn one. I love the Winona Ryder one. So like I was like I'm kind of I was in the demographic for this to like hit well, but I did not expect to like it this much. So I don't know if you guys would actually like it, but if you guys like if anyone out there likes period dramas, this is like mwah, beautiful period drama like does interesting things with the uh, little woman retelling by like chopping it up non-chronologically and doing this like seven year skip back and forth very well executed and again fuck todd phillips greta gerwig all the way <laughs> not that i think she w- should necessarily win best director but she should have been nominated and it's bullshit that she wasn't so there you go mark your geek cred i was looking at like movies i watched this week and i'm like i can't recommend any of these so <laughs> i feel kind of bad if you're a star wars fan i think the best piece of star- i mean we- i love mandalorian too so i can't even say it's the best piece of star wars media i've consumed recently but i had a ton of fun with uh fallen order so if you have the means whether it be a really powerful pc because i'm pretty sure anything that's not like fucking cutting edge is just gonna burn to death with this game because <laughs> not optimized but yeah so i played on my xbox and i had a good time with it so if you're looking for star wars action i guess go play fallen order so for my part i am going to recommend something that is directly related to what we talked about tonight and i know it's something i've pimped on the podcast before but it is very timely i'm going to recommend jeff johns's run on justice society of america no you've never done that before no because <laughs> it really ties in like the spirit of doomsday clock i think really it goes back to that series and has some really great stories like the whole black adam kandak thing all comes directly from that series as well yeah. and so there's some really great art on there by uh dale eaglesham and i can't remember who the other artists were but his <sighs> stuff on it in particular and scriber uh, was in remember. that during that, yes. that society yeah. run right uh yeah, yeah definitely and honestly that's that society run is going to be uh probably pretty key in the black adam movie that the rock's making because that's the one run Mm -hmm. he's mentioned multiple times in reference to his movie is the jeff johns justice society run which means i'm assuming they had a meeting and jeff johns handed him that trade paperback to read yeah so that he would like it and make that movie yeah so it's an excellent run some really cool stuff in it and uh really highlights sort of those the the legacy of uh dc and sort of general generational nature of dc's characters overall cool all right well with that we will finish off for this week a little long in the tooth but that always fucking happens when we talk about comics uh So thanks very much for listening. If you have your own thoughts on Doomsday Clock, think we're wrong, think we're right, you have you know your own take on it, you can talk with us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash dancerobotdancepodcast. You can send us an email at dancerobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter uh, at drd underscore podcast. And if you are not already, you can subscribe to our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, and generally where podcasts can be catched. So with that, we will say good night. Say good night, Mark. I uh, have a good one, everybody. Say good night, Paul. Good night, y'all. And go read some comics, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>